to Punchboard Paradise, coming to you from the heartland of America in Omaha, Nebraska, where we discuss the world of tabletop gaming, the topics that affect the board game community, and give honest and fair reviews of the industry's hottest games. In episode 43, the Punchboarders talk about recent plays, then head over to Clef's for a Kickstarter corner, and then finally draft our top hidden gems that are ranked a thousand and beyond on BGG's board game rankings. Hey everybody, I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. Now I'm Richie. And this is Dan, and we are a Oh, wait. I'm on the wrong show. Whoa, okay. whoa. Hey, sorry. Hey, hey, sorry. Can there. we do that again? Can we do that again? I wasn't ready. Whoa. <laughs> All right. This well, is Punchboard Paradise. That's yeah. right. That's right. Punch you guys had the script. Paradise. I have the shirts. I'm. I, yeah, I just messed up. I'm oh, so sorry. No, you're okay. It's you're, all right. You know, it's, it's all right. You're, you're welcome. Your first here. time on here. Or should we, we should give him a, a big Punchboard, Punch Bunch welcome, though, right? I mean, like an introduction type thing? Uh, I, I know the guy good enough. I don't need to talk about him. <laughs> Let's still have this. All right. All right. Okay. In case, in case they're not as worldly, this is one half of the great duo of Across the Board podcast, and this is, you know, one of the guys that is heading up that Across the, across the Board con that's coming up in January we've been ch- chatting about, but this is Dan Smith. Dan Smith is a, I'd say, a professor of games teaching. Wow. He is a, a man soon to enter the Mail Carrier Hall of Fame and... And a self-professed uh, expert in conspiracy theory as it pertains to Pizza Hut and hamburger pizza. Wow. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. We just ate it last night, too. <laughs> I know. We'll get to that later. But no, that was a great introduction, Chad. Uh, yes, I know a lot of my listeners are your listeners and your listeners are our listeners. So I feel like I'm still at home speaking to my listeners. But right. uh, yes, my name is Dan Smith. I am friends with you guys and I like board games and i think i was uh called here in an emergency i didn't get an official invitation i basically got a phone call from clef saying hey what are you doing tonight yeah he said come over i assumed it was board games because that's all we do but yeah i get here and we're ready to record i well, was confused because we're all in like not wearing pants well, that's what we do? well yeah well that's that's, that's, that's a, typical a typical way we record okay yeah, yeah. yeah. the, the normal veil has been revealed yeah. I, it's like you, seeing the wizard in the wizard of oz ah. i'm seeing you pull all the pulleys <laughs> and the strings it's making yeah. sense now i mean the truth of the matter is is you know we had somebody much more famous and more popular booked and they right. last minute canceled so on ryan, us, so so ryan, like, ah. ryan freshman canceled yes right that was our a-lister dang it oh boy Okay, well, Dan, thank you for coming in, though. We of do course. appreciate it. So I love it. Uh, I, for those of you who do not know across the board, uh, Dan is just a really good friend of mine. We play a lot of board games together um, pretty much at least once a week. Yeah. Twice a week. Yeah. Three yeah. times a week. I don't push it. All it's right. Somewhere in that week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, we play way too many we games. We have a problem. Yes, sure. we have a problem. <laughs> but so, Dan, tell us, first of all, Tell people what got you into board games. What what made you decide to start playing board games? Well, my board game story, uh, it's very similar. I'll just cut right to the chase. It was Catan. Uh, but the way I was introduced to it was through a sibling. Um, they had heard of this new type of board game. And I grew up in a family where we played a lot of games, but I had never done anything you know, that we are used to now, these modern style. And so we sat down and they taught me the rules and... 
I was just blown away by the idea of this interaction where you could trade and barter and do sort of things that would really manipulate the way people would play, but you did it outside of the game. We're so used to all of the rules and the mechanics being contained inside. And uh, I mean, our games got ridiculous. Someone would give me a wood or a sheep, but they'd make me do like 20 push-ups. So it's stuff where they're like, I'll do it, but you got to actually give me real money. And I'm like, well, I, I guess it's worth it. I'm like, so uh, it, it started from that. And obviously just getting that new idea of a, a typical way a game should be played thrown out the window uh, really set off a fire inside of me. And I just really, really wanted more. Did you have... Uh, do you remember some of the games you had as a kid, like more traditional games or even some games that are kind of like weird to think about now, but they're kind of rare? I mean, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about Monopoly on my podcast, um, so <laughs> I won't even go there. Um, we played a lot of card games, uh, so I don't know if you guys were familiar with some of the old ones. I played like Hand and Foot. Uh, that was a really, really old one that my grandmother taught us. Yep. I mean, Skippo, I know everyone kind of mm -hmm. at least heard of that one. Yep, that yep. One. Um, we, yeah, I really, really liked all the card games where you had like partners. We did a lot of those ones that where you would uh, take like days to play. You'd add up your points and it was almost like a campaign style. Can I say that about card games? It was crazy. Wow. There you go. Um, hey, but we really, that really instilled this uh, sense of gamesmanship and really wanting to do stuff that involved being, you know, at the table with people. And I went through like a video game phase, but I think as most of us did, you learned that you weren't interacting with people the way you wanted to. And I think that's what, again, also drew me back to this hobby, really being able to sit next to people, see their expressions on their face and enjoy the moment, not necessarily the game. So uh, something that's interesting to me, because you're uh, you're pretty positive to be around. And like if somebody brings up a game, you know, we, we've been talking on this podcast, there's like grumpy man. Grumpy man, cleft, get off yeah, my lawn, I see him sort right of there. thing. He's scowling at me well, yeah. right now. Yep, and so he's move on from this terrible segment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Ebenezer over there. That's right. That's right. So you, you, you've heard that, of course, but I feel like you're kind of almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe we could say that you're cleft's yin to his yang. Almost. Ooh, wow. You're a real positive guy. Is there any? Is there any <laughs> game that maybe you? that other people like that you're not so hot on? Yeah, I think the way I usually approach games is not at the game initially. I'm more of the experienced guy. So I think when I sit down, I think I have a gentler approach to a game. I'm not as critical and harsh when I first sit down to a game. Uh, but there are certain games that are out there that I just think don't appeal to my sense of taste. I, obviously, Gloomhaven, the elephant in the room, uh, is just something I don't think appeals to me. I feel like that draws me too much into the game, and I am more of a exterior enjoying the moment type of game. That game just doesn't really bring me into the theme because it's so theme heavy. If that makes sense. It's just almost too much theme. So would I mean, have you ever played D&D? &D? Would that be a thing that you would like to try if you haven't? Or <laughs> Well, I, I've had some valiant attempts uh, once with Clef. I even tried once at our uh, previous convention we did. Um, I like the idea of using my imagination. I like the idea of acting. I like doing uh, silly voices and stories. Uh, I'm very imaginative with my children, if that counts for anything. Uh the whole story aspect, I think, is the fun part. I don't know if the the numbers and the rolling of the dice necessarily intrigues me, but I like the idea of you using your imagination and walking into a castle or a fortress or an open countryside and you telling the story of your characters. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, the idea of it intrigues me, but uh, unfortunately, it's something I've never been able to actually try. We 
I, I said this earlier at the beginning when I introduced you, and I, I do think it's true. I wasn't I wasn't being just uh, silly about it or sarcastic, but I think you are a very good teacher. What do you think are some important things to include when you teach a game? There's actually two key components to a great teach, and I'm glad you got this. I have this laminated sheet that I use every time I teach. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing is you have to know how your students learn. Obviously, they're mul- they can learn in multiple ways. Some of them need to actually just play the game and you'll know them those are the people that just say i got it i got it i got it let's start playing then you have the people that say i need every single rule up front you have to understand that person when you sit down and play a game with them some of them just want to learn the game as they go some of them want every rule up front but i take it a step back further and i say what is this person that i'm teaching what is their overall goal that they want to achieve tonight Do they want to actually play a game mechanically and focus on that game and put horse blinders on and just focus on the game? Or do they actually want an enjoyable evening? Do they want music? Do they want snacks? Do they want live livations and messing around and being silly? I have to be able to read the people that I'm teaching and say, how can I make this game night the most perfect game night for them? Some of them might want a silly game. Some of them don't want that. And a lot of the issues I run into is I'm teaching two people of opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But that's where I get my most enjoyment out of this hobby is teaching people and making sure that when they sit down to play a game with me, they walk away saying, that wasn't necessarily my favorite game, but they actually walk away saying, that was a great night because I had fun. I don't really care what we played, but I just had fun with Dan and with the people that were around me. Those are my two things when I teach. The game is superfluous. I want to make sure that they had a great experience while they were sitting next to me across the board cool. he keeps trying well to done, sneak so. out in there uh no and i will give you kudos one thing that you that you always do and this is something i've incorporated in my teaches and i'll tell people out there this is a great thing to do when you do have people that really want to know all the rules up front when you start going through and in most games that we teach that are euro type of games you go through okay here are your eight actions right and you'll start to describe here's action one here's action two here's action three and then you'll you know get to the end and usually by that point everybody has completely gone okay sure i got now action eight but they have no remembrance of what the heck action one was (laughs) right right. so when dan does that he he always would go all right so we'll go over these three actions and then he go all right hold on let's go back and now let's talk about action one again and two and just recap them as he kind of goes along. So it keeps those things fresh in your head so that way you remember all of them. And that's one thing I've really worked into my teaching that I found is is very helpful. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. is that what you guys do? I mean, is there something specific you guys do when you are teaching games? Uh, no, I was going to say that I'm always confident when Dan teaches a game, which is not necessarily the case with you two. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. For sure. What? Okay, I can understand, Chad, but uh, come on now. Oh, come on. There not, there's Just, always... I might have a rule. That's right. All right, all right. But I'm going to teach it right. Ding, ding, ding. All right, all right. Here we go. Cheese Louise. <laughs> Whoa, okay. All right, all right. Put your pants so, back we on. Should not be, <laughs> we should not be fighting in front of company. Yeah, no, that's, come true. On. that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, speaking of all this stuff, what what we're talking about a lot of games. What have you been playing lately? Oh, man. I have gotten an absolute amazing game to the table recently. It actually just funded from Kickstarter not too long ago. Uh, you guys are familiar with Shem Phillips, of course. Yeah. Uh, when he got nominated for the Kenner Spiel with Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, this is the new newest series that he has started. Uh, last year, he did Architects of the West Kingdom. Now he came out with Paladins of the West Kingdom. And this is the game that I've been getting to play to the table. Now, I will tell you, that of all the games that he has ever released, this would be the heaviest. 
Uh, this one has the most strategy as well as depth involved in the game. Um, have anybody had a chance to play it here? Yeah, I've got. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know. I yeah, we you all two, three yeah. of us played it, right? Yeah, yeah, we got to play with all three of us. That's right. So I don't know if Chad has. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm curious about it though. So at its core, it's a worker placement game. You are taking workers that you have in front of you, and you're placing them onto the board to do a certain action. A lot of this is resource gathering or resource exchanging or manipulation like that. Um, but the way it does it is that every player has their own player board. There isn't necessarily a main player board that everyone uses. So you're really manipulating yourself a little bit of solo style, but um, there is some interaction amongst that. But what's really interesting about it is that you have different colored workers. So you'll have three or four, maybe even five different color workers. And when you place them down onto these worker placement spaces, specific colors are needed for certain actions. So obviously there's some sort of uh, kind of congruity where you're trying to figure out, okay, I need a red here, but I need a green here. If I place a blue here, it'll actually return me a green. And so you're doing this whole like trying to like symbiosis of working this one to allow this one to work, which turns this one into this one. It's an absolute mind bend of trying to get your head to wrap around it. When you first start the game in the couple of first rounds, it's dirt simple. You're doing simple, simple actions, and you're just trying to build things up, get new actions open to you. It's really, really simple. But then by the end of the game, your head is like trying to wrap around everything. It makes this huge, amazing puzzle. It has the same wonderful art that he's always used, uh, Mihalo Dmitrievsky. The Miko. Yeah, the Miko. I mean, he's famous. You see his art, you recognize it instantly. Um, it's a fantastic game. I absolutely recommend it. I will say, I think it actually plays best at two. Um, it is a little bit of multiplayer solitaire, as I said. And so sometimes when you have multiple people doing the same action over and over, it takes a little longer. So I've played it a couple times at two, and I think that is the sweet spot. So I've really, really enjoyed it. Wow. And that coming from you saying you enjoy it best at two is unusual because you usually like yeah, full max, player count. Yeah. 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 It's like always full player count. Player it, it, is, like, it is a rule. It is a rule. No, I just, I, I, yes, I do. I generally think games, when they're created, I think that they are created to be played at max player count. And then I think that they make variations or modifications to allow three or two or even one. Uh, so I usually do play things at max player count. But yeah. This game just really, really hit it for me at two. And as I said, I think that this is the best game that he has made. That's uh, Shem Phillips. I think this is the best game he's made in all of his games. And I'm really excited. I believe early next year in 2020 is when the third title of the West series is going to be coming out. Hmm. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So I've been loving the game. It's still hitting the table a lot. But um, yeah, I've been playing Paladins of the West Kingdom. I really enjoyed it. it. I would definitely say it is my favorite so far of his games because I'm not a huge fan of Raiders. Architects was great, but I ended up trading away after I played Paladins because that was better. And now I, I think I might just wait and see what the third game in the series brings before maybe, I maybe pull the trigger even, on AM because it could even be better. Yeah. So. Yeah, it could be. I really enjoyed my plays of it. I once I will echo the fact that I think it is by far the best out of the three. What was the one right before it? Uh, Architects. Architects. Of the West. That one kind of just it was. At first, I was like, "Oh, I really like this," and then it kind of like by the third play, it just went like really downhill fast for me. I think all of his games they have a very interesting me mechanism that he uses, uh -huh. but it's not necessarily the deepest of games. I think once you've kind of learned. How the game, you know, turns a little bit. You've kind of you've seen you've seen it all in action, and there's not really new much more to reveal. I think this one has a little deeper. You have to dig a little deeper and say, "Man, what could I have done differently?" Whereas in the other games, 
you three or four times, you've pretty much seen it all. You understand how the cogs work. This one, I think, has just a little deeperness to it, and that's what's really intriguing to me. Yeah, I agree. I'm interested. I want to try to get a play into that one. Yeah, I think you'll like it, Chad. I think this one's definitely right. Yeah, I think it definitely uh, yeah. uh, something you can also play with Finn, I think. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe even Steph, because I taught it to Missy, and she really enjoyed it, too. You have nice. one thing to play with Steph this year. Yep. <laughs> so. And that's uh, Paladins, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I don't know, Dan, if you know this, but we all had challenges to start the year off with. Yeah, you've been berating me for yes, the past so that's why like, I keep saying, eight, yeah, eight to nine months of games you, you need to play. Haspel yeah. Connect, Haspel Connect, yes. Haspel Connect, yes, because that's my, no, not Haspel Connect. Uh, Hansa. Yeah, Hansa. Is that what I keep, that's my, I got two left, Panamax and Hansa. That's right, yep. Okay, that's it. I'm resisting as long as I can. Uh, Good. Richie has to play all of his games in his collection or some no, weird no, crazy uh, thing. Everything or, that was on my shelf of yeah. shame, which I have been trading away a lot of that shelf of shame. <laughs> I feel I'm like a, that's cheating. Fire cell, no, fire cell, no, 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 fire cell. December 31st, there's just going to be a big box on Richie's porch of like 30 games. <laughs> well, how are you doing, you Richie? Where, where are you at on your list then? You uh, not good. Not oh. good. <laughs> I could just Actually, I could just see him like running next door, right? Right before the beginning of the ne- new year and just putting all this. Just hold these for me. Yeah, just, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I might do that. Give me these games. <laughs> I think I'm at about 70%, which is where I've been for like the past three months, because it's kind of been a one-in, one-out issue. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I had to stop yeah. buying. <laughs> but Chad here, what? well, one of yours was to play Agricola two times over the course of the year with your wife, right? No, it was, I put down 10 times. Oh, 10 I times. got three. The over-under on you guys, well, that's it, right. was that's what it was set at four. Yeah. And wow. so I just need one more play of Agricola, and that's think, actually Stephanie's favorite game, so. I mean, I might go for World Peace and probably get mine first. Is that, is that what it sounds like? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Richie has no shot, and he knows it. I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I'm a little worried. <laughs> you have no shot. We're of about to hit the holiday season, and, and all we he's going to play is inside. All this and all vacation these... time. We both have all this vacation know, time. Uh-huh. Should play. Mm-hmm. I, I promise. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, and that's funny you say that because I actually made one as well. Um, mine was a little bit more encompassing. I initially wanted to do every game that I owned at least two times. Kind of the same thing where you're trying to validate your entire collection. I realized that that was an impossibility. That'd be like 400 plus plays. I didn't want to do that. So what I ended up scaling it back to was a 100 by 2. You know, like a 10 by 10. But I want to do 100 games two times. And that was a little bit more achievable. I didn't really want to do the whole racing to get games done. I wanted to kind of just say, if a game approaches me, I want to play it. If I like it, I'll play it a second time. Uh, That's been a much easier approach to me. I'm probably around where Richie said, about 70%. I think I'm close to around 70%. So I've enjoyed it. I haven't really had to, like, stretch myself to play games. There's been a couple times where I've said, we're playing brass lancashire again uh but i've still enjoyed playing new games as much as i've enjoyed playing the old ones and i think that was my overall goal to not force myself to have to do anything i don't want to play i think that helps too if you're playing games like like we are for the podcast it's kind of nice to be able to say well i'm this one counts as one of my two yeah because absolutely yeah. yeah so it's it's been a lot of fun but i think having these goals is great as long as it's not deteriorating the reason why we're doing it it's just a fun thing to do and i absolutely love doing them yeah. Well, I just want to say I played something recently. I think uh, R- Richie and Clef have played this one too. While we're talking about uh, while we're talking about games from Shim Phillips, his partner that he's done some with S. J. McDonald has uh, has also done a game called Circadian's First Light, and uh, so that's one of the ones that I've been playing. Have you gotten a chance to play this? Because Clef I has have. It. Clef actually taught it to me. I only got to play it the one time, but 
I was definitely intrigued by it. I could see it had that slight Shem Phillips kind of touch to it, but there was a little bit deeper there as well. But I'm, I'm excited to hear what you had to talk, think about it. Well, I think, so it's a dice placement game, and you have a player board where essentially you're rolling dice, and you're going to have a top row on your player board that is garages that you can set them in that to do actions out on, on all these main boards. And then there's another uh, row that's basically sort of like your lab or your botany lab where you're you're getting resources because it's all about mining and, and settling this new planet, maybe. And... So you're using these resources to do that, and there are end game objectives where you can park some of your die out permanently for extra points and and such, or you can get more die, those kinds of things. But what's really interesting to me about this game is it does things that a lot of other games do, but it just seems like a really breezy, quick, like that take on this on on these mechanisms, meaning that it seems to move really fast, and so you still have the quality of decisions that you that you would hope to make. But uh, for example, there are there are new races that you can get in the on the board that everybody starts with different things or starts with different powers, and those are really easy to understand and kind of are nice to have some some asymmetrical powers that that differentiate each other. Then there's this also this main board where you are you kind of have these lunar modules that encompass these hexes and you can harvest on these hexes and you can also move the hexes over with different actions from the boards and that is a little bit of an added wrinkle so i like that as well but i like i said i think the interesting thing is mostly how how quickly it moves really i don't know what how did you feel about it club oh uh, i was okay this is one of those uh moments where i uh, you know, I don't know, a year ago, whatever it was, I was on Kickstarter and I went, ooh, squirrel. And I hit buy now or whatever, you know, hit the pledge button and forgot all about it. And all of a sudden it showed up on the doorstep and I opened it up. And I remember, I think it was the night Richie was here and he was like, uh, what is that? And I'm like, I don't have any clue. I don't remember anything about this. And of course, that usually ends up not being a very good thing. But in this case, it was very good. Yeah, I was surprised because yeah. one, the art, uh, once I saw the art, I was like, I don't know why Clef even bought this i mean back in the day he was just buying anything and everything on kickstarter yeah but overall like I, it kind of reminded me a little bit of mermies because you had like where you're selecting your actions you're sending out the uh you know on that colony board is kind of like the mm -hmm. whatever the little rover board that you have here yeah and then you have like in mermies where you're sending your nurses to get those points to yeah. first end game scoring so it kind of felt like that but less clunky Right. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah. One of the things that really intrigued me about that game is that normally when we hear how long games take, we equate that to the depth of the game. You're like, oh, I played a four-hour game of 18 what and what, whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, it took four hours. And you're like, wow, that must have been a really, really complex game. You know, and conversely, if someone's like, yeah, we played a 15-minute filler game, you're like, okay, well, it was obviously really, really light. I actually think that that works opposite in this game you you get the game played in less than an hour and you're thinking okay well, it's a it's a midnight game you know probably even less than that um, but I just remember when I was playing it my hand was just on my forehead and you're just like crunching over you're like okay I need this dice but if I do this someone's gonna beat me up to here I mean the decision making in this game was phenomenal for how simple and quick of a game it was exactly what you said it the turns are so quick you're just putting things out and grabbing things and just doing things so quick that you almost don't even realize that your brain is actually computing all these decision-making options so quick. And that's what I loved it. But by the time I was done, I was just like sat back and it was just kind of like 
side because I was like, wow, I was just so focused for that whole 45 to an hour. I didn't really have a chance to just breathe because it was just go, 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 go. It made me want to play it again right away. So I, I really, really enjoyed it, even though I got just one play. And, it, you know, it, sometimes we get come across these games and it, we if we don't expect much going in, then it's a nice it's a really nice surprise. And I think I, I just hadn't heard much about it. I didn't know much about it. My only my only um, interaction was with other Garfield games. And so I, I just I approached it kind of from that standpoint. And it was a really nice surprise. So, so far, it makes kind of one of my surprises of, of this year, I'd say. Oh, I would totally agree with that. And I, I tell you just a, a small thing about that game. When we talk about our Euro brains and, you know, giving that pleasure in this game, man, you get so many resources. I mean, like things cost like 10 water, you know, so I mean, you're you're constantly always getting lots and lots of resources. So it feels good. You're like, oh, my goodness, I just got 20 water and seven energy and four algae. You know, you're getting all this stuff. Now, granted, it takes you like two turns to spend it all because everything's (laughs) so expensive. But, you know, it just has that. I don't know. I, I think that's a neat thing sometimes. Yeah, that's a great point. So we were talking. I was talking with somebody the other day about pipeline and and they they particularly didn't like pipeline because it was so hard, you know, because it was so. And I can understand that it's not for everybody. You know, it's, it's one of those games that you have to fail at your first couple times pretty hard sometimes mm-hmm. and and really have to dig in. And this game doesn't make you feel like you're failing ever, really. I mean, there are nice decisions to make, and you definitely feel like you don't get enough done. But you, there's a good sense of escalation, and like you said, yeah. I think it helps with those feel good feelings. So if that's if that's you, if you feel that way sometimes about some games, that you might want to check into this one because it does give you those nice feelings. And the dice are plastic, not wooden. Exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's a win win win. Bonus points right there. <laughs> well. Okay, I haven't had a chance to play my copy. I came over proudly and displayed it for you because it was so exciting. But I know you played, you two, you and Dan, Clef, played Tricarion with all the stuff, right? Yeah. All right. I'm now going to... (laughs) I actually, hold on. I got to finish putting away all the components. We're we're still putting it away. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to I was gonna tell everybody how to play the game. Everybody has an extra three hours. Just uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we did. Um, wow. Brain overload. I mean, wh- what Dan was just talking about a second ago, this is this type of game where, yes, you play for four hours, and yes, it was incredibly complex. I don't want to say complex, but just the planning in this game is amazing. And real quick, I mean, a brief overview of this game is, you start your turn and you have a set of cards that have different locations on them. And you have to start by putting these cards face down in front of different uh, pawns that you have that you'll be using to go out to the board. So you have your magician, you have an apprentice, and then you'll always have a, uh, like a, the specialist. a specialist yeah. or something like that. And then with this expansion, we had another yeah, the, the protege. Uh, the protege. So you have to plan each one of these cards. So first of all, you're sitting here going, okay, where do I need to go? Then who do you need to send to where you're going to, where you want to send them to? So you got to figure that out. Once you finally figure that out, then everybody reveals them. And then you've got to look and see, okay, I see Dan is going to the workshop and I want to go to the workshop. And they have um, action points out on the board where if you send a guy there first, you're going to get some extra action points to do something. But if you send them there second, you're going to, uh, not gain any action points, right. so, or, you know, extra action points besides what your your pawn has. So you're then you're having to think about that, like where do I want to go to first? 
Not to mention then you've got your other stuff that you're working on building these tricks. So you've got to go get different items for your tricks. And then you're trying to get money to keep up for paying for stuff. And I mean, oh my goodness, this game has a lot. You didn't even talk about the whole performance part. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Putting these tricks together and, you know, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff. So, of course, what's what should you do with a game that has all this planning and all this stuff going on? Well, let's add more to it, shall we? That <laughs> sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so now we played, well, we played with the Dark Alley, which is the older expansion. That yeah, one's that, been out for they a don't while. even call that an expansion. That's you're, just part of the game now. That's part of the okay. game, yep. Um, which is just another spot that you can go to and get more cards that you can use to go to spaces, but this time they have like special abilities on them. So then you got to figure out which. Yeah. Anyways, you've already lost uh, me, and I played the game with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the newest expansion we played with was we had the protege, which gave you an extra person, but they could also learn secrets, which was actually my favorite part of this game. Yep, you like secrets. I, I like secrets. <laughs> um, the secrets basically gave you different. A special bonus abilities and it also increased your protege as you like his action points as you got them and then it also had this like a school academy where you could go and teach uh people how to do tricks right but once you taught them how to do tricks guess what you couldn't perform those tricks anymore because right. you'd basically taught the tricks of the trade there was also people. a way you could practice your tricks yeah, that's right. to make practice. your tricks even more beneficial and uh, yield better rewards yeah. but it was just an extra step that you had to plan ahead yeah and then if you went and did something then you put your what they called your flags but they were basically just little you know pieces of you know wood or whatever that you put out there uh so yeah so you put your your, your pieces out there and whoever had the most pieces in the game scored some points i mean i'm telling you guys this was like a game not at like a you'd say like a game and a half. This was like six games and a half all put into one. And it literally so Dan and I now we had a little bit of the expansion teach. But after that, I would say two player game, both of us playing decent speed, not, you know, anything terrible AP ish. Absolutely. Four to four and a half hours. Yeah. Ooh. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Dang. Worth worth the extra time. Here's the thing is, and after I play this game, almost every time I get done with this game, I'm like I don't know if I liked it or not. <laughs> I, I just don't know. know. There were so many, like, so so many conflicting moments. Like, oh my gosh, I like this thing, but then, oh my gosh, I just spent too long doing this. Is I, that well? I don't even know. It's just I just feel like I get done, and I just don't know. There's parts of it I love. I love the action points. I love the fact that when you get out to a spot, if you go there first, you get some extra action points and stuff like that. That's so cool. The trick part where you perform the tricks. That's the part that I've always felt like is the clunkiest part of that game, where I just feel like it's not, something's just not quite there. You're talking yeah. about setting up at the theater, setting your guys in the theater, yeah, the and how, how you get with, the bonuses. Yeah, and you put the thing, and the shards, and the, you know, the whole thing, that part. But I, I just don't know how to describe it. I just get done with the game, and I'm just like, okay, I played that. I mean, it wasn't Root, but it's not. You know, Great Western <laughs> Trail, it's, I don't know. I just, it's... It, it hangs around way too long for me, and... Because I think the last time I played it was with uh, Clef and Dan, and yep. it was a four-player game. And that, like, and it didn't seem like anyone was going slow. It didn't seem, like, it's not an overly complex game compared to, you know, other games that we play. It's just by the end of the game, you look up, and six hours is gone, and you don't know why. 
Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's confusing. Well, because your brain is so entrenched in this game. Well, here, here's what it is. I mean, even in setup alone, before the game even starts, you're making crucial decisions. You have to determine one of three specialists that you want to start with. Now, each one of those has a special power that will determine how you should play your game. You're also picking a starting trick that you want to do. You also are picking starting resources. So immediately before the game even starts, you are like sunken right into this strategy of like, okay, if I pick this guy, why do I do this? Why am I picking this trick? What resources do I need? What tricks am I planning on doing four or five turns down the road? Because you have this huge index and you're trying to look at all these tricks and you're just like, okay, if I pick this, I need this. I mean, to kind of echo what Clef said, it feels like they added complexity just for complexity's sake. I mean, for example, when you want a resource, you go to a certain location. I think they call it the market. And you go to the market. To get a resource, you would think you would just go there and get a resource. That's what you'd think you do. But there's like four different things you can do. You can order one resource. You can lower the total cost if you go there. You can uh, expedite a thing to get there. You can order something for the next round. I mean, you can do all these different things. And meanwhile, you're competing with your opponents who are doing the exact same thing. And you're trying to balance those action points. I mean, it's just an overload. And that's just to get resources to perform a single trick. I mean, it's literally... They felt... I, I feel like when they designed it, the theme was amazing. They hit it right on the head with the theme. Even if you don't care about that, it, it fits perfectly. What you're doing in the game makes sense, but I feel like they wanted a heavier game than what they had. And so they added, they, they added mechanisms to make things more complicated than they needed to be. And that's what actually I think slows the game down. You're not necessarily trying to see how the wheels crank, you're just realizing that there's like four or five or six wheels to do one thing that really only needed one or two wheels to crank. Well, it's Mind Clash games, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do. Base Anachrony is really the only game that I own from them. And but once again, with you know, they're releasing that expansion, which is adding more, which that game just does not need more. But I, I would I like would someone to get a, a hold of them and you know, just settle them down a little bit. <laughs> just, they, they need to streamline just a little down bit. Yeah. With your game design. <laughs> so, okay, so Clef, do cool. you, on the record now, are you going to recommend that people try this? I mean, should they, should, you and <laughs> I mentioned just sigh. get rid of everything and do base. We still think base is a quality game, but is that what you recommend? I would say, well, if you've never played it, for sure, Play the base. I mean, just straight. I mean, I think you can play with that dark alley. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I would if that's just basically the the, the main game now. Um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned to you that I liked the secrets of the uh, protege. Yeah, the academy. The expansion, academy. The rest of the academy they could do without that. But then, of course, then that it doesn't become really an action space. So, yeah, I I would say if I was going to play it again, if I was going to play it again. I would say let's just play straight base without the extra add-on extra stuff. Uh, I mean, I think the base is, is complicated enough. Once again, would I tell somebody, hey, play this game? I'll definitely say this. If you're on the fence, play it before you'd ever buy it. That's for darn sure. Um, I'm lucky enough, you know, Chad has his deluxe copy and Dan has his deluxe copy. So there's never even a thought process that I would. It's not something I would ever buy myself because... I, the only people I'm playing with are people probably in this room for the most part. Uh, certainly, I would never teach my wife that. She'd 
throw something at me at some point. Chad, what's been your experience <laughs> with Jacarion? So the first time I played it, I felt the same way Clef did, which is to say I finally in the middle of the game figured out that whole trick planning stuff in the theater because that is to me the most convoluted it really is. and it feels it is. very clunky and if there is anything in that game at uh, the base game that stands out to me it's that it's just it just feels like the definition of unintuitive and so it takes and, and they gave a whole a whole page almost all text in the rule book for an example just for that and there's a reason. So when I played it, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. And that's hard when you purchase a game, you know, oh, yeah. you, you want to like it more <laughs> than course. you do. But uh, and so then after that, I played it a couple more times, but it was hard to get out at first. And then I started to understand and be able to teach it a little bit better. And, and, and then I enjoyed it. And so I did go in on the expansion for that reason. It's not going to be something that I will play all the time anyway. But because I think I'll, I'll admit that because of the theme and the way it's integrated in there, and if I feel like I have the time, that's a game that I'll play. I, I think that is sort of Mind Clash games too, is that they do theme pretty strongly. And so that is one of the hooks to their games. I, I think that uh, the bet that we should have had back when we said Chad would finish his Agricola bet with, with his wife if he doesn't do it, then that means at some point next year you have to play two player with everything of Tricarion's expansions with Chad. You have to sit there. Oh, that's my punishment. That's your punishment. Oh, <laughs> well, no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what about a five player tramway? Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> Actually, I think I think I'd take tramways over. Would you really? Tricarion. Yeah, well, it'd be, it'd just be hangs done. on way too long. It'd be done shorter. The speed would be done. I, I don't know if you know this, but he's a little bit salty about tramways. I don't think you've ever played it, but no. he, he, he's. Well, don't have Chad teach you. Because <laughs> then you're going to get made fun of by the designer <laughs> <laughs> when we he sees a, the board. We took a picture, and Albin Biard, who, di- who designed uh, who designed tramways, we took a picture and posted it on the, on the internet. And uh, on Twitter, Albin came on, and he's like, oh, great. Uh, what the heck is Green doing? <laughs> Which was perfect. So, uh, so ever since then, Richie has not been high on that game. Well, so you know. Hey, nowhere to go but up from here, right? <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. All right. Well, Richie, tell us about something you played that maybe you did like then. I have I have not played anything new to me since the beginning of November, which I know most. I mean, it's November <gasps> like twentieth. Oh my goodness! Or something like that. Whoa. Most people wouldn't think that that's weird, but I mean, we usually play that's like weird. a new game every week. That's, <laughs> that's weird for us. So I'll actually just talk about a recent purchase I made, oh. and I made this purchase because of Clef. Right. Um, and that is, I bought in the the uh, miniature market uh, Black Friday sale. I bought the Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, oh. along with the Pestilence expansion and the order and chaos expansion oh so i'm all in okay. and we'll, we'll we're gonna i'm gonna learn it we're gonna play it all all right because right. we'll that is goes. kind of a of all of the three of us that's a richie game i think yeah. So, yeah i'm doing my part for the podcast yeah that's good so now, did, i'm unfamiliar with this game is this i mean you sound like you're like hot and heavy over this what is this game well here's the thing and and this is when i purchase board games there is some kind of erratic purchasing with a lot of blind buying but it's a, it's the, kind the of melatonin, a uh, yeah, yeah, melatonin. Yeah, melatonin. Pop a couple melatonin <laughs> and hop on the internet and just start hitting by. Turkey time coming up. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm worried for miniature market. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but would you say this kind of more leans more towards Ameritrash a little um, bit? Yeah, uh, I would say it is definitely more than a straight Euroy game. Yes, it has more Ameritrash in it. 
Yeah. So my because there is the fighting, obviously. Yeah. My whole purchase was based on Clef saying, "Ah, it wasn't that bad." So that translate that type of game probably translate that it's going to be pretty good for me. So that's the, really the only reason I purchased it. You have a problem, Richie. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm only at seventy percent. Hey, and this is another hey, we're one all being thrown on there. from your problem. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Melatonin away, right? Exactly. Uh. <laughs> so. Did you just get that, or did you did you purchase anything along with it? I just bought those, yeah, just the base game and those two expansions, okay. and then I, okay. I got off of there. All right. So, good, yeah. good job. Sounds well, good. Yeah. All right. For the podcast. I'm, I'm excited about this. All right. I'm, I'm, I, like I said, be. I remember, now we played a five or six player game of it when I played it up in, uh, this yeah, was- Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, no, no, no. Let's keep it four player. Yeah, four yeah. And player. I think, and I said that at the time. I said, yeah, I think it'd be a much better game at a lower player count. And so I'm, I'm excited to get it. I'm worried about where it. I'm going to store it at. The box is bigger than any like cube shelf that I that I own. So you have an entire spare bedroom for your board games. You'll <laughs> you be do. fine. That is, that is also <laughs> part of the issue. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I want to hear, like, if we doped you up on melatonin and sent you off to Kickstarter, what what would you be interested in, in oh, getting? Oh, well, what a segue there, Chad. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Dan. I have got a game that I am really interested in, and I'm I'm going to tell you right now, it's one reason why I'm interested. The designers. The game is Turuga? Turuga? Oh is there a question mark at the end of that? Tanaruga. Tangaru. Tangaru. That's what I said, was Tangaru. And this is a Euro game designed by Lewis and Stefan Maltz, all right. And does anybody know what game they designed? Never heard of them. Rococo. Rococo. Oh. Ding, 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 ding. So right away there just made me say, hey, they've got some good pedigree. I'd be willing to at least check this out. So what this game is, uh, by what it says here on the Kickstarter, is it's going to be an engine building, resource management, dice placement Euro game. Well, pretty much I thought, okay, I'd like all three of those mechanics in a game. So I am, you know, on board. So basically, um, it shows in this game, you, you're going to have some leader cards. So there's going to be some special variable player powers, which is always cool, too. And you're going to be rolling dice and basically putting them out and on like some boats that you have. And then you're going to be everybody's kind of taking actions, depending on what those dice are. And you're gathering resources. Um, it's a kind of an, an island game, if you didn't get that from uh, Tungaru. Is it Tunga, Tun you're correct. Tungaru. Yeah. See, I'm on it. All right. That was, that was much better. Um, anyways, I, you know, I don't know a lot about this game. It's really just what I kind of saw on Kickstarter. There's a couple of reviews on there. But um, the other thing that I thought was really nice, the price point on this game. You can pick up the base game for $37 plus shipping, which is really nice price. It's a steal. Wow. Yeah. Um, or you can go in for the deluxe if you want your pieces to look fancy for $53 plus shipping, which is, you know, that's that's pretty typical for most board games. But I'll tell you, for me, you know, I'm probably going to just do that $37 base pledge. I think that's pretty good. And I think shipping was like 6 bucks to the U.S. Um, and I think maybe 15 to Europe or something like that. And and uh, for our listeners in Africa, it was like $77 for shipping. Wow. There we no, go. I don't okay. know. If, so who's the publisher? <laughs> who's the publisher on this? Uh, the publisher is Alley Cat Games. 
Oh, I haven't heard of them before, but that's interesting because it, like I, like you said, it's such a cheap price point considering. So I, you know, I'm looking at this picture here, and I'm getting like a, a Bora Bora vibe. Ooh, it's got a lot of colors. I like the tropical islands. I feel like in all of these tropical islands, there's always like Euro mechanisms. That is that that's where the Euro game came from, right? Tropical islands. Oh yeah, that, for sure. Yeah, the Mediterranean. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, just looking at it, it's got all these different moving things got a lot of different colors i really like the vibrancy of it i mean this is something i actually would be interested in playing yeah and i mean this is i'm back in this i mean this is one that i i'm i'm all in i'm i'm gonna back i'm gonna do the 37 dollar pledge um so it's got okay well uh, by the time you guys are hearing this <laughs> the kickstarter will have ended i definitely back this but a uh, possibility that uh, maybe there is late pledge if there is a late pledge and this sounds interesting i would definitely jump on this and see if you get in on it um. Yeah, you, you so can that, contact Clef and see if you can get so, on his late pledge. Basically. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, when exactly. the pledge manager opens. What was opens. the uh, name of the game again, Clef? Uh, Tunguru. You know, you should really consider, you know, talking about and playing games that you know how to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you would be so. Well, limited. if they just made normal names, I wouldn't have to worry about this. The first time he said it, it sounded <sighs> like it belonged in that Beach Boys song, Tunguru, hey. <laughs> Jamaica. I don't know. Trish Magistus. <laughs> Hey, Tris Magistus. Oh I Whoa. have been practicing. That, wow! Practicing. Did you see that? That came out. Tris Beautiful. It was almost like foreplay. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, anyways, there you go. There is my Kickstarter corner that is already done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what, guys? It is time to draft. Ooh, man! Did you just dim the lights? Ooh, baby! <laughs> it's a little intimidating. I didn't realize you guys did that. draft that we're about to do um there's another podcast i don't know if you guys have ever heard of them they're called across the board something like that no question mark they have this uh they have this segment or at least this saying that's called hashtag no game left behind is that is that trademark pending yes yes okay so we're gonna we're, we're gonna kind of steal that and use that for our draft here i will it, allow it you'll you'll allow it yeah Okay, so what we're doing for this draft is we are drafting games that are a thousand or beyond on BGG's top games of all time. You know, a they thousand have a years older. So thousand, they got to be a thousand <laughs> years or older. You've got like six games to choose from. <laughs> so no, a thousand. The ranking has to be a thousand or beyond. Okay. okay. All right. So we're really we're going deep here. I mean, thousand or beyond. Wow. There can't be any good games a thousand or beyond, right? Mm. I mean, I guess we'll. Find I wouldn't out. have a we'll podcast if that was the case. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, <laughs> Richie, tell everybody how we draft here at Punchboard Paradise. Well, at Punchboard Paradise, we like unique lists, so that's why we draft. So we're going to do a serpentine draft, which all that means is if you draft last in the first round, you'll draft first in the second round. Uh, we're drafting four games today, and we're going to roll to see who sets the draft order. Or ten-sided dice. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm just flipping a coin. This doesn't seem fair. <laughs> ten, eight, five. Dang it! That's a seven. Sure. <laughs> it's like cockeyed on the paper here. All right, Richie, tell I'm, us the draft order. I'm really not worried about any of my games, so I'm going to let our guests go first. Dan, wow. you got the first pick. Right. Gee, that is so um, sweet because I am literally going to go for the jugular. <laughs> <laughs> right, I like it. He's not even drafting. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Chad, you'll go next. Clef. 
and then I'll take the uh, turnaround. Take, take the swing. All right. All right, Dan, what do you got? Okay, so the way I've been prepped on this is that I need to pick stuff that you guys are picking because I like to be jerks. Is that how we do this game? Uh, that's right. how we do it. That's right. how we do it. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. Uh, I, I went through this list because, I mean, obviously there is an unlimited amount of games that are ranked higher than 1,000. Um, but going through the list, I realized there are some amazing titles. I mean, obviously, some of these are not ranked higher than a thousand for certain reasons, but I still think there are some really good hidden gems that are out there. And I was surprised when I made this list. I was initially skeptical. And then as I started making the list, I was like, wow, this would be a good one and this and this. So uh, I, I actually have quite a few that I think would be really decent on this list. All so right. without further ado, uh, my number one pick. Let's see. Okay. Um... I got to go strong since I have to go all the way back around. So my number one is going to be Porta Negra. Ooh. Uh, good nice. Which we, I think we all know translates to the the Black Nigra, right? Isn't that how it translates? Something like <laughs> well, that? Yes, yeah. I'm hoping you got that backwards. <laughs> okay. It, it's, the, it's the white, it's the black port. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, what it, is. Go, that's what it is. Yeah, something like that. Uh so this is a Kramer Kiesling game. Uh, I don't have any of the information in front of me. I didn't come prepared. Um, but this is a game that I have loved for the longest time. And I don't know why it didn't get its you know, due diligence. Uh, but I just think this is a fantastic game. It was put out initially by Pegasus Spiel. Um, I know Stronghold, I think, brought it over to the United States. Mm -hmm. But it is a action selection where you are uh, picking cards from your hand. You have a dedicated... Uh, you have a limited supply of cards in your hand that everyone has an equal amount of. You're shuffling that and you're drawing two, picking one, and then doing the actions on that card. The round ends once you have gone through your deck. And what that creates is this real kind of mind-bending puzzle where you know what cards you have coming up, but you have to kind of formulate a strategy around that. On the board, what you're doing is this amazing circular board here that's broken into four sections. And what you're doing is you're building up, you know, this ancient city and you're rebuilding. Part of it is the Black Gate, as well as rebuilding the, uh, I think you're building like the temple and uh, the pavilion where they uh, performances and doing all this stuff. But it uses these wonderful little like gray discs that you're building up and really creating a 3D looking image. I love this game. It's super, super tight. Uh, building is tight. The finances are tight. Uh, there's a lot of uh, manipulation and kind of backstabbing back and forth. And you're trying to compete for being first in so many different categories. Uh, when I first played this, I was blown away. Uh, I got to play it with Clef one time. It, this is one of those games where it actually does play great uh, at all player counts. I really, really enjoy this game. Um, and like I said, I'm just shocked that this game is ranked above a thousand. I think this is one of the most underrated games, especially by Kramer and Kiesling. I think this one is absolutely overlooked. And because it has, it, because it's from those two, it has what we talked about earlier—a really good complexity to decision-making ratio. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was on my list. I was going to guess that that would be on your list too. It right, was Cliff? definitely on my list. I really enjoy this game. I this is one of those games you'll all of a sudden see it on sale for like fifteen bucks or something. Yep. And I'm just like, what is I going on? I believe the last time I saw it, seven ninety-nine. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> ridiculous. So, so yeah, pick it up. That's, that's our advice. Absolutely, yeah. pick it up. Yeah. So that was my choice. Uh, my first choice, Porta Nigra, which we as determined that's Black Nigra. Is that? Am I? No. Yeah. No, that's not right. That's not right. Nope. We can nope. edit that out, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. do all that. Right. You all bet. Right. All right. Make all right. it sound better. Chad, you're up. All right, Grid. Uh, well, there, 
like you said, I was surprised when I looked past a thousand. There were so many options available. But knowing this group, I'm going to go with uh, a favorite. And what I really like about this game is the action selection mechanism in this game. It's very interesting. You're you're taking all of a color of chit to make your worker do something in this game because it's kind of a worker. It's not worker placement, but your action selections come from this this bag basically. And it's the game is Hospital Connect. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> but in Hospital Connect, you I mean. I know that you, for a long time, Dan, as long as I've known you, you were always saying, why aren't there more games about early coal mining? Absolutely. Yeah. And so this fills that niche per- perfectly. <laughs> but I I really I really love this game just because of the, the action selection mechanism. It's, it's very different. You're always having to take a certain amount of a color. You don't want to go over a certain amount because then that limits you for the next turn. And you are also trying to decide how to clear coal out of your pit. Meanwhile, pit water keeps dropping in and and filling up. And then also you're uh, trying to go down this technology tile track and create a track to get bonuses towards the end of the game. Another nice thing about this game and what we really love around here is the money is super tight. Oh, yeah. Super tight. This is quite a, a favorite. And the expansion, usually I like games that you feel like you didn't quite get everything done that you wanted to but this one when clef first taught it to me i didn't we felt like there was something missing just a little bit and the expansion links lengthens the game one more turn and then gives you some more technology tiles so it just is it's one of those really great expansions for a game so i will say hospital connect is my first pick Um, i mean it's one of my favorites i love it um i totally agree on the fact that that's one of those games that you, when I teach it now, I mean, there's no question it gets taught with the expansion. I don't even hmm. mess around teaching it uh, the base game because I feel like the expansion kind of completes it. So, yeah. So, no, it's a great pick. Yeah, I got to play that game one time, and it was one of those games where you have to plan multiple turns in advance. It is a punishing game, but I think I think it's good to have those games in your repertoire that you're ready to pull out when you're ready for a real brain crunch. Right. Well, I... Didn't have that one on my list. What? I did not. I mean, it was on a starting list, you know, because it was right. You know, which being over a thousand, that's that's a that's a crime. But it's at one thousand twenty-four. Yeah, but I went with another capstone game that has oil in it that I think is even a bigger travesty. That I think this game is absolutely amazing, and that's Wildcatters. It is ranked one thousand two hundred and seventy-seven. And that's just crazy to me because this game is great. It is a area control game where you're trying to get your oil rigs out into different areas of these countries and you basically select a card to kind of do different things or whatever. Not important. But you're also having these auctions that you do for these, what they call the wildcatters, and you're, but you have shares in this game. In this game, the object of the game really besides you know to win and score the most victory points is you're trying to stick point people with them not having enough of their own color of shares for when you do something they have to always pay you in their color of shares and if they can't they got to take a loan and loans are terrible in this game i mean it's like you get 10 shares and you have to pay back like 25 shares or something at the end of the game it is really really bad 
So that's, and it's so much fun. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you. I don't think, I know Richie and maybe Chad, we started to play this. We kind of, we looked at the pieces. We admired yeah. the beautiful art, kind of mm-hmm. pushed a couple around, and then we put it back in the box when we realized we did not know how to play. Yeah. Well, I now, I mean, I've played this thing like four or five times in the past like six months, and I'm like itching to get it back to the table again. It is absolutely amazing. Dan, this is one I have not taught you yet We either. know pretty much the same thing. Oh. <laughs> we played like a third of a game, and okay. we just ended it. So I think this is why you have an undefeated record at this game. <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that. It's the opposite. I do not win at this game. I'm terrible at it. In fact, the last time we played was like, I scored my highest score, still came in fourth, and I was still happy. I was like, I'm still getting better or whatever at it. I love it. I just, I don't, I don't know why it's not a more, I mean, it's heavy and I understand that. And obviously maybe that's why it's not. Definitely it's a game that I want to always play at four. Because if you don't play it at four, you do get dummy shares that, you know, just doesn't, you know, it's it's just not as good. You can play it, and I have played it at three, and it plays okay. But it's definitely one of those games, four is the player count that you want to play it at. So that's my oil game. Well, I guess yours was coal, but mine's oil for... Cast I would like there. to say we've had three games that have had prominent color of black in them. So That's true. That's very true. So, Richie, we really Richie. need you to bring, oh, okay. it home. bring it home. Here. I'm going to bring it home here. I'm going to go. It does have a black cat on the front of the box. Oh, oh. Wow. I think. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> He's stretching. He's stretching for it. <laughs> it's my favorite Friedman Freeze game, which is not saying much because I only like one of his games, Whoa. and that is Felix the Cat in the Sack. I'm going obscure this list. I'm wow. not going to oh, Wow, number one. Wow, yeah. what? <laughs> My number one, yeah. I was going, I'm, I'm tying it in to the, to oh, the okay. color. Okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, can, you, uh, can you spell that? Felix, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is ranked, uh, let's see here, what's it at? Uh, 1,265. And this is a little box game. It's a little auction bidding game where everyone has, your. the theme is odd. You're, you're trying to get the best cats, and they're in this sack. So <laughs> you lost me. You lost me. You lost me. You lost me. You got a sack. You throw a bunch of cats in it, and you're trying to get the you know the the ones that aren't mangy out of there, basically that are worth the most points. This is one of those heavy euros. It sounds like yeah, basically. <laughs> so the way that it starts out is everyone puts down. You all have a, a hand of cats, cats and dogs, and there's like bunnies in there and stuff like that. But you only want the cats. And you only want the, the, the non-mangy cats, okay? So you it's kind of a bluffing game as well. So you will put down cards for an auction, for a bid. And whoever the start player is will flip over the first card and you'll start bidding. But you don't know what else is in this sack. So you flip over the first card, it may be a cat that's worth 11 points. So it looks pretty good. So you, you'll start the bidding, start the bidding. And then once someone passes and they get out of the bidding, you'll reveal one more cat. And it could be a cat, it could be a dog, which will chase off the highest valued cat. And you keep going. You keep bidding until people keep dropping out. And then you may end up with a good sack of cats. Or you may get pushed out and all of a sudden you had a dog that chased off the, the best cat. And you're left with a, a bunny that's worth zero points and a, a mangy cat that's worth negative two points. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Darn mangy cats. <laughs> so it's kind of a bluffing bidding auction game. It's a fun little game. Check it out. I think it's now Felicity. The cat in the sack. I think Stronghold reprinted it. Yeah, yeah, so, that's correct. Check is that it, out. So, is this a kids' game? No, it's it's not a kids' game. It's definitely a family weight game. But with the auction and the bidding and the bluffing, it, it pushes it up past that that kids. Right, it's, right. it's in that family weight okay. game. With since you have to bluff and whatnot. 
I, I am intrigued. I would like to play this. Yeah. Hey, I am not ATB intrigued. Oh, you, are, you, you, are, you, you tell know. me how it is, all right? <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Dan is a cat hater. <laughs> it's not a long game. We'll, we'll get it played. Okay, all right. All right, that's my number one. Only because it has a black cat, I think, on the front of the cover. Not sure. <laughs> Good job sticking with the black thing. <laughs> My number two is also a uh, Kramer and Kiesling game, and that is Nauticus, which I think I've played with yes. Clef. Good and pick. that one is down to uh, 1,626. Uh, this one, I don't think it ever got a U.S. printing, but it's language independent. The, the components are. And I think you can still get it if you order it off of like Amazon.de uh, over in Germany. Uh, but in this, you have a rondelle and you are selecting an action and it's going to be where you pick the action, you get a bonus, and then everyone follows you on that action. Money is super tight. You're building these ships. And once you complete a ship, you'll get a certain amount of points and then you're shipping off goods. Uh, but it, you're trying to set it up to where when you take the action, you get that bonus that it's not the opportune time for other people to take that action because you're getting boat pieces and you're trying to put these ships together. But anytime that you get uh, a piece, usually it has to go into the storage, which then you have to take an action to get it out of storage. So you're trying to set it up so where people are, are not able to place their pieces right away. They go into the storage and then you're trying to get it set up to where maybe they don't have enough workers to get it out of storage and stuff like that. But it, it's about four to five rounds, probably plays in about an hour. I would say it's best at two to three if you play at four players, it gets a little hectic. So two to three player game. Uh, check it out if you've never heard of it. Nauticus, Solid, Kramer, and Kiesling game. Yeah, I I remember enjoying it quite a bit. It's one I'd, I'd like to get back to the table. I don't remember a lot about it. Yeah, we'll have to definitely it. bust it out one, one of these days. Did so. it I'd like have to play. a wooden bowl? It did not have no, a wooden bowl. Okay, well. Wait, we got that back well, to the table. We did get Mogul Recently. back to the table. That's right. Dan, you got to play Mogul one of these days, if nothing else, because it has a wooden bowl. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm serious though. Like I was looking at it, I thought you. I mean, you could put some guacamole in this thing and put it out on okay, the table. Okay, and- now you <laughs> good, have my good. attention. You might not want to have the guacamole in it while you're playing the game. Probably <laughs> that could get a little. Yeah, might get a little messy. Might get a little messy. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm ready. So first thing I'm going to talk about here before I get to my next pick here is how amazing brass is. Okay, brass is amazing. Okay. It's just the most amazing. This is where we leave the pot. So, <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. We had a Twitter follower say that his wife did not want to listen to the podcast unless I talked about how much amazing brass was. I guess, yeah. So I think I have there to talk go. about it. Okay. And I've got a segue here because I'm going to actually talk about another Martin Wallace game. Wow. That Ooh. is not as well received as brass what other martin wallace games has he played i don't think he has played another one has he oh wait no i do have yeah no i know i Mm -hmm. have okay Mm -hmm. yep oh yeah yeah okay i got you all right that is you've not played this game because i don't own it so you wouldn't have a chance to play i'm clueless let me hear it the first train to nuremberg i think it was also re-themed from another or not re-themed but renamed from another game i can't remember anyways but i can't remember either the new the game is it's called first train to nuremberg it's by martin wallace it is ranked 1617 and it was uh first put out in 2010 i don't have any clue about the publisher or anything like that but um this is an excellent game it's got action uh auction in it it has uh track lane in it it has moving uh you know your people and your goods and stuff like that but really, the crux of the the really interesting thing for me is where 
you are auctioning off these little discs and you don't really get these discs. You just actually move up these tracks that then allow you to either A, you get to, you know, maybe go first or B, you get to get a better train to move your goods or, you know, different things that you get to do. So you're really working at which one of these, uh, you know, these colors do you need to kind of do what you want to do? And I think there's like six different colors or something. And I was just in shock when I played this game about, wow, this is really, really good. And I enjoy. I think I played it two player the first time with Josh, and then did, I think we played it three player when you were yeah when I was you know, laid up yep. yeah when you had your broken leg yeah um or knee or whatever whatever that you yeah you know, whatever. <laughs> I couldn't walk uh, yeah exactly <laughs> um and I have just thoroughly enjoyed this one and I want to get this one this is one game that I do not own that I I just thought of today I was like. This is a game I would like to own because I, I wow. really find it to be a really good game and I would love to show it to other people. So maybe I should just run over to Josh's. He'll never notice it's gone. He no, never won't. plays games anyways. Yeah. So I'll just. And while you're over there, get my games. Hey, Josh, you got like five of my games? I want yeah. them back. <laughs> he probably He's has some of my it. games. I don't even know. He just takes them sometimes. Are these, these are not games that you took off your shelf of shame and gave to him. No, no, no. These are games, are, these are games I'm keeping. Actually, I might sell a couple of them. Okay. But. <laughs> So there we go. That's First Train to Nuremberg by Martin Wallace. Not yeah, as good as Brass, but still good. It was a okay. solid game. The only I've, I've been trying to get a trade of it. The only thing, only reason I haven't like gone out and just bought it, it's a little fiddly on the setup. The okay. setup is a beast oh, for the game. It's fiddly yeah. for the setup. <laughs> yeah. it, it almost takes longer to set the game up than, than it does to play yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm interested. But I am going to go with my next pick. Uh with a game that is actually ranked 2,290. Wow. Nice. I like it. Yeah, it is out there. And we don't we don't talk as much. Yeah, and I don't know how much you listen to us. Uh, sometimes he I don't does listen, not to, listen us. to us yeah. at all. I didn't so, even know you guys had a podcast. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I, we don't talk much about party games on here, but I, I do enjoy a good party game once in a while. And Crosstalk is one of them. Ah, uh, yes. I really do oh. like Crosstalk. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to go with Crosstalk. Crosstalk is a really great game of you you slide your team a clue about a word that you have to get them to guess. So so first off, there there are two people that are on different teams trying to get their team to guess a, a, a word, basically, or a phrase or a book or something like that, right? And then you slide them a clue and... Nobody knows what that clue is except your team. And then you're going to be giving clues to the other team to get them to, well, basically to send signals to your team maybe or to obfuscate or keep the, keep the other team from getting it, basically. So you're, you're trying to be clever there and going back and forth. And really, when it's, when it's your team's turn to guess and the other person is giving them a clue, you want them to get it. So that's basically it. But it's fun to feel clever and feel like you kind of got the clue and everything. And Clef, you're you're better at this one than I am. But I get really riled up, especially when you guys don't know what fine literature is. But I mean, otherwise, uh, the the Bill of Rights, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. What yeah. It was. Well, I have actually two questions. Okay. Ooh. First of all, what is the definition of obfuscate? <laughs> it means uh, to to shroud or to make unapparent. <laughs> okay, I was kind of being half serious because I really didn't know. But um, <laughs> Chad no. uses words all the time. I know that I he's just know. trying to impress <laughs> us. We we know you're greater than you're better than so, us. We know. No, uh, no, no. But my real question is because I, I we do love this game. This is a game when we play party games. This is one we play often. Um, and my question to you is. 
Uh, do you find this plays better at a smaller player count, or do you just like to go as much as possible? I because you're looking at clues and checking back and forth a lot. I that that's a good question, and I like to keep it to teams of like three or so, you know, maybe four, so that you can check back and forth with each other. Because you're writing down, if you're on a team, you're writing down stuff to say to each other. You're kind of going, "Hey, what do you think? You know, do you think it might be this?" Back and forth because you. Yep. So uh, being able to do that is is what's good for this this game so i would say kind of those smaller smaller groups like what you might play with across uh, a code names group with okay yeah yeah we we love that game and i think it it has created a lot of fun evenings and memories uh not necessarily dealing with the game but just i think that type of atmosphere that game creates is a blast yeah you yeah. have stories later yeah and i i i feel like even when you play with non-gamers it's still a good game for them. They they get on. They get it. They get the game quickly. It's you know it's an easy game to teach. It's an easy game to understand. Yet it's good for gamers too. So I think that's it. Really kind of crosses the lines. I think. Well, and you mentioned it. It's like when you compare it to Code Names. Code Names is very quiet and you know solitude, and you're thinking in your head. Whereas with Crosstalk, you know you have those boards where you're discussing with your teammates, and you're kind of just you know going back and forth and kind of thinking, oh, should we go down this rabbit hole? Maybe they mean this. It really allows, as Clef, you said, non-gamers to be able to participate without feeling like they're under the pressure. So, I, I mean, I love that game. Uh, however, the last time I played this, my wife cheated terribly. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, All right. Uh, we, we won allegedly. Yeah. Uh, she basically just wrote down the word at some point and handed it to a team that Dan and another person were on and said, here is the word you need to say. <laughs> you have no proof of that. You have no proof of that. All right. That is inflammatory, <laughs> sir. <laughs> that is obfuscatory. <laughs> we were all so loud and boisterous, none of us on the other team even noticed that she handed it. <laughs> so, all right. Good pick. Good pick, Chad. Thank you. All right. So I'm rounding the horn here. I get to go two times. I mean, gosh, I, I'm surprised that this lasted this long. So I'm just going to snatch it up before it gets gone again. Uh, I'm taking ground floor. Okay. Ooh. Good one. Nice. So this is actually a newer game to me. Uh, I just learned this game for the first time in 2019. Um, and when I learned it, I went, you know, head over heels in love with it. I played it three or four times, probably in the span of like a month or two. Uh, this game is a heavy, heavy game. Uh, it has to do with a lot of planning. Um, and so one of the core cruxes of this game, if you haven't played it, is that time is a resource. So you are running this fledgling corporation and you have a single level business. And that's illustrated literally on your player board by a single level building. And uh, you have all of these workers or employees that you have, and they allot you time to do actions. So you have to utilize these workers to do different things. For example, you can get uh, files, which is one of the resources, uh, but you're also needing to get money. You're trying to balance these things. You're trying to sell products. You're trying to grow your building, um, obviously, from the ground floor up. Um, you're trying to get these new powers that are going to make you better at doing the actions. Um, it's just this. When I played the game, I was confused at first because there were so many like different processes and thinking synapses. I was trying to figure things out. And then when you play it a second time and even when I taught it, which is usually how I learn the game the best, you really start to see how perfectly crafted this game is. Um, it's a very tight economic euro game which you know we've obviously expressed our love for those games but 
I don't think it's a punishing game. I think that there are just there's a lot of opportunities for those aha moments where you play it and you're like, oh man, if I do this and I do this, this will happen and I get this and boom, and you actually get to put little pieces of cardboard to show that your building is growing and it literally grows like beyond your player board. So you really get this visualization of your company growing. And uh, as opposed to some euros where the things you're doing in round one are the same things you're doing in the last round, this one, the game like grows in tension and what your actions are doing until that final last action where you have tons and tons of resources and you're making this one final gasp or the finish line. I absolutely love it. I've taught it two or three times. Everyone I've taught it to has absolutely loved it. Uh, it's just been an amazing game. I don't actually own this. I know there was a second edition printing. I think, Richie, you actually showed it to me. Yeah. And yep. uh, I mean, I, I have to get this game into my collection. So... I mean, I, I had to pick this game. I'm actually shocked no one else picked it yet. So round I have four. It. I have it, but I haven't played it. I, I mean, because I, I heard these guys talk about it, and then I looked into it, and I was like, I got to get this, but I just haven't been able to play it yet. You have the new edition also? Yes, I do. Yeah, I still have the old edition. First edition. Uh, yeah, the first edition, which has one ed- I mean, it does play six, so if you ever are yeah. on a night where you've got six, and you, which we have played it at six. Yeah. Um, but the the new version added a little like a stock market adds uh, a stock exchange, thing. which is, I mean, it's just yeah. a way to get. It makes it so that money is easier to get. Yeah, because that money can be really tight right. in this game without that. Would there, you guys play it again at six? Then yeah, I think this is one of the yeah. few Euro games that I would play at full player count. I would too. The, there's two things that I love most about Ground Floor. The first is how there's there's two types of currency. There's money and there's technology. And it's so, like, it always feels like you've got one, but you don't have the other. And everything always costs, you know, some sort of money and technology. So it's like, I love that feeling of it's so tight, you have to really balance to get both types. And the other thing I like about this is I compare this sometimes to the thought of, like, a Marco Polo. You don't start off in this game with special player powers, but when you build those floors... Every floor that you see is like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And look how broken this is. And but yet you look at the other one, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is so good. And so on. So you actually in the game are building up and making your player power basically more and more powerful. So, yeah, great pick, Dan. This is Mm. amazing. I love ground floor. Good job. Okay, so I got that big monkey off my back. So now I I, kind of want to go a little bit more obscure because I I like bringing these games that maybe not necessarily had, as we talked about, a lot of attention brought to them. I like to have this opportunity to really kind of talk about some games that are important to me that are still ranked above 1,000. So the next game I want to talk about, I want to bring you guys into theme. Clef, this is for you, okay? Oh, okay. I want you to envision. Okay. 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 The 1800s, London, England, the dark, seedy underbelly of the town. You see carriages rustling through. You hear the smoke, the fog, the billowing. All of a sudden, the siren's going off. Someone has escaped from Scotland Yard. (gasps) We must get him. (gasps) (laughs) I'm sorry, that was the best I can do. Is it Jack the Ripper? So (laughs) my game is Scotland Yard, um, and this is a game that has been... Uh, reiterated in many different forms, uh, many different types of games. It is a one versus many, or in actuality, it's a many versus one, in that uh, there is one person who will be playing the person who has escaped from prison, and then there will be everybody else who is playing detectives trying to catch that one person. 
Um, and so in this game, you are playing on a beautifully crafted map of London, England. And you have all these numbers that are ascending through there. I think they goes up to like 175. And they are connected by different modes of travel. So you can travel by taxi, bus, or the underground. And you put a little representation of like a push pin on one of these numbers. And it can be randomly all over the map. And then you move around the board. But how you move is really interesting. You actually have tokens that you have to exhaust. So for example, if I want to move from space one to space two... I have to use whatever the mode of transportation is available. That would be taxi. So I actually lose one of my taxi tokens. And everyone else will do the exact same thing. But here's the thing. We have no idea where Mr. X, the escapee, is. He is somewhere on the map. And what he is doing is he's moving from number to number, doing the same transportation that we are, but he's keeping whatever number location he is at hidden. And throughout the game, at certain intervals, he has to reveal his position, and that will allow us to kind of corner around him and potentially kind of make a plan. But all of that that I'm explaining, that's normal. That's every type of hidden movement game. If you play uh, Letters from Whitechapel, Fury of Dracula, those are all the same games. The reason why I love Scotland Yard is because it is pure, simple, hidden movement. There's no powers, there's no luck of the dice, there's no extra thing that can thwart your attack. It's literally the brain power of one person trying to overthrow the brain power of everyone else. And so many times when I have played this game, the table talk is what makes this game fantastic for me. We'll be sitting there, and Mr. X, who's the escapee, will be sitting there listening to us table talk, and we'll say, okay, if I move here, you move here, and I move back on my next turn here he only can go to this space this space or this space you literally play the deduction game in front of the person you're trying to deduce and it creates this like double layered cat and mouse game saying if we say we're going to go here but we actually go here he might go here which is going to move him here you have this building tension in this game which i you know talked about a couple times before where you have limited supplies and how your movement is every time i play this game whether I'm playing with someone who's never played a board game or with seasoned gamers, we end up having a blast. It doesn't take too long, which I think is another testament to why this game is so good. Um, but I, I just love this game. It's been done multiple, multiple times. I, there's quite a few designers to it. And I know Ravensburger did it initially, and I think it actually may have even won the uh, Spiel of Jahres a long time ago, back in the 80s. But this game is just a classic to me. I think everyone needs to play this. If you are interested in Fury of Dracula or Letters of Whitechapel, those are the same styles of games. But I think that if you play Scotland Yard, you might get a sense if this is the type of game for you. Uh, as we talked about, it plays a large player count. So if that's an issue too, uh, this is a fantastic game to pick. So uh, my pick, my bold pick is going to be Scotland Yard. Hmm. I've I've never I've never played any of these type of games. The oh, one really? versus many. Nope, I've never played you know any. What? Of I bet you you and Missy would probably like like hidden movement. Okay. Well, I mean, she would like it. Not you necessarily would not. you. <laughs> you would not. Yeah. I mean, she would probably destroy you as well. But but for me, a lot of those games, uh, Scotland Yard, Specter Ops is another one where. Oh, yeah. I, but I consider them almost two player games. I almost prefer to just control because usually what happens, especially if you play at the full player count, because this goes up to like six, right? Yeah. You usually have like someone who's kind of they kind of sit back and they let people dictate 
what their turn is, or it's just very obvious what they need to do, you know, as far as to try to rein in whoever's playing you, Mr. You get X. The you get the quarterbacking, know? the, right, the right, alpha right, right. gamer. Yeah, you you have to be able to control that and kind of let people speak up for themselves. Uh, I found a lot of times I'll put wh- whoever I think is the alpha gamer as the escapee, as the Mr. X by themselves. Uh, so that way they're on their own and they can make their own decisions. And then I kind of force the table talk and I kind of lead the conversation to say, how should we solve this? And again, it's not about the game. It's about the experience, you know, whether we caught him in one turn or we we were one turn away from him. It's about creating that experience where people remember the game, not necessarily how it turned out. Nice. All right. All right. Uh, Chad, you are ready Wow, you're really studying your list right there. <laughs> yeah, doing I, homework over there. I, I am doing homework <laughs> over here because I just realized that one of the games, I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but one of the games I had picked moved up. And so it was it was in the nine hundred. Oh. So Chad always picking games that doesn't yeah. I I that is why I'm studying my list because I wasn't right. gonna cheat, all right? Okay. So I did not expect it to move up. What what right. was that game, just curiously? Skikelm, actually. Oh. oh yeah. All right. So it's in the high nine hundred, so I couldn't I couldn't pick couldn't, it anymore. Couldn't go. No, yep, can't I, pick it. Was, yep. All right. So instead, I'm gonna pick I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Dan. I wanna I wanna champion a game that, that doesn't get enough love, I think. And uh that is is gonna be Burano, actually. Burano is another game that I see on sale shelves a lot. And I actually a lot. I know. <laughs> and I actually really like this game. I like the... It, it feels very Feldian. In fact, some people who have reviewed the game have called it a Frankenfeld that feels like mechanisms that are sort of strung together. But I really like the puzzle of it. Uh, Richie, I think when I taught it to you, you compared it to... Because you don't like Trajan. You compared it at that time anyway at, to a better Trajan, actually. That, but that's not saying much coming from me. But yeah, so I don't that's true. Really, you don't like it at all. But <laughs> no, you don't I don't like really. I don't remember this that much. I remember it has a very cool building component in the middle, which I, I enjoyed. But I, I, I even remember that though. I think you didn't really get to do that that much in in this. Well, did I did I play it with you too? I don't no, know it was just if me. you did. Yeah, it was just I think me it was Chad. You one didn't. Night. Yeah. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> so what you're doing in this game, which is really interesting is you have a cube pyramid of different colored cubes and you have to build up this cube every turn. And this can cause uh, some analysis paralysis because each cube you uncover is going to be linked to a certain action you're going to be doing because you can uh, make lace where you're kind of putting out uh, this lace around the island and it's sort of like a tile game and kind of in a way that dominoes are where you want to link up certain things to have majority with colors. And then you can also go to the different islands around the board and fish. And that's another thing that you're doing. And that sort of is almost an area majority thing where you want to have most of your fishermen on certain islands to score points. And then you can also build roofs because you're building the colorful city of, of Burano by taking cubes and putting them out on the board and putting roofs on top of them. And it, that is very beguiling and, and pretty on the board. It, it's quite an eye catcher there. But to me, the favorite thing is planning your cube pyramid and how you're going to do each action and uncover it and each turn through the rounds. Yeah. Cube pyramids. <laughs> Sounds cool. I, like I said, I, I do remember that middle that middle part was really cool. I don't know if I got to build, because we only played a two-player game. Like I would like right. to see that in a four-player game where you get to see that build up a little bit more if I 
remember it at yeah. all correctly. And I yeah. think because you can build on top of roofs and based on what the roofs do make a difference. And I think that was some of the problem with the game is some people felt like certain roof powers that once you built on them or once you grab those tiles, which you do grab them at random, that those can be stronger than other roof powers. And uh, the I think the player count kind of determines strategy. So around the island, maybe uh, the area majority is a little bit stronger at different player counts so now is the expansion murano no that's a totally <laughs> oh, separate game oh. it's very confusing but uh but they both have to do with uh water right they do yeah, have to do with gondolas, water there maybe? are a lot of cities on water yeah. that end with a n o that's true but murano is known for its glass making and burano is known for its lace making so there you go wow do you own this game chad yes i do and why have we never played it uh because when I play games, Clef's usually around, and he dictates what gets played. <laughs> wow. Wow. Just calling him out. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> so, anyway, that's I'm my pick. I'm playing no Murano. <laughs> Murano. I don't like glass anyways. Get off my lawn. Get grass <laughs> out here now. All right. So, that's that's Murano by Yu Chen Sing and Eris Lin. Okay. So, for my third pick... I am picking a game from 2004, which is going to be the oldest one on my list here. It is called The Scepter of Zandivore. The Scepter of Zavador? Zavador, yeah. Zavador, yeah. That's exactly what I said. That's an 80s movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And Alyssa Milano's in it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) He meant Commando. I knew what he meant. It's all right. This is a fantasy uh setting theme that has auctions in it is set collection and variable player powers the story behind this because there's kind of a story which with some of board games we have stories this is back when i was not huge into the board gaming scene and i used to go over to a friend of mine john davis's house and he had another uh, couple that came over and said hey we need a six-player game and so they pulled this game out and we played it and it was you know, at the time, probably a little over my head because I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's got auctions in it and it's, you know, got all these different things in it. You're basically trying to collect these gems to buy more, better gems and kind of a set collection type of thing. But it was, you know, it was cool. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then when I got into board gaming, my wife was like, hey, remember that game we played back back then? I really like that game. I'd like you to track that down to play it. And of course, I was like, I don't even know the name of this game. And, and I kind of forgot about it. And I think then my second year at Gen Con, I was in the uh, buy, like used copies of games type of room. And all of a sudden, it was there on the shelf. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's the game. The clouds parted. The, the clouds, yeah. yep, boom. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and I grabbed it and I brought it home. And me and her played it two player. And it's, you know, it's a. 2004 game but it's it's interesting i mean it's got cool mechanics it's got the auction in it um i haven't gotten it back to the table with a lot of players which i think maybe would be better but if you're looking for a game that can hold a lot of players is interesting like i said i'm stretching here these are games thousand or better you know so check it out the scepter of zavendor yeah, good. All right. And, and the, the designer on the designer that designer is Jin Drogenmuller. Nice work. I looked it up. <laughs> so there you go. Good. Thank you. All righty. <laughs> Here we go, Richie. 
All right, I'm going to go with, uh, I think I'm going to end on two card games. But uh, So the first one I'm going to pick is R-Oco, or R-Eco would be the Z-Man version, but I don't think you can find that anymore. So look for R-Oco, and that is 1,654. And this is a little card game where it's actually, it may even be like my most thematic card game. You're trash sorters, and you will have a hand of five cards. So it's kind of a hand management set collection type of game where you have uh, four different colors, I believe, and those each. <laughs> Let's give me looks here. I, I just you've got bags of cats, and now you've got trash. Now you got okay, trash. I'm just okay. I'm, I'm fiddling the theme here. Okay, so you get five cards into your hand, and you're gonna play that card down into its recycling color, whatever color it is. That's where it's gonna go, and then you're gonna have to take the cards that are right above that. Uh, that recycling center. But the thing is, you can only ever have five cards max in your hand. So if you take over five cards, then you have to illegally dump those other cards, and those will count as negative points against you at the end of the game. And what you're trying to do is once a certain, once you hit a certain threshold on each recycling center, you get to take the top scoring card for that recycling center. And they start off with, uh, I believe it starts off one point, or no, starts off zero points, one point, two points, negative two, negative one and then like four and five so at the beginning you you know you're going to get a couple of points but at some point like all the all the factory is going to be at negative two and eventually you're going to probably need to take one of those but at the end of the game what happens is that you each color you'll only score if you have at least two scoring cards so you can take a negative scoring card every once in a while as long as you don't take another one of that color and then it won't count against you uh but once again it's a cool little card game that that hand management of having to stay at five cards is big in that game because illegally dumping is it could really hurt you so you really have to manage your cards you really have to watch where people are going and try to time out when you can go to that factory to get the cards where you'll be at the perfect hand limit and then get those points but also trying to avoid the negative points so R Oco and it's the same designer I'm blanking on his name but the same designer as uh, Traders of Osaka, which mm, I know I've played with good, you, yeah. and he does one other game that's really good. Can't remember it, but Traders of Osaka, another game you can check out, but I think it's above 1,000. That's why it's not on this list. Chad with the save. Susumi Kawasaki. There you go. Now, so if I'm wrong so about that name, Susumi. So you're trying to collect, <laughs> and so you're trying to collect different colors? Like you're not trying no, to. No, you're sorting them. You're sorting so, them. So you're in your hand, you're going to have just random trash in your hand, but then you're taking it to the recycling center and putting it where it needs to go. Okay. This is the, kind of the theme. The type of the theme. Okay. Yeah. I'll bring it I, over one of these days. Okay. So. I was just trying to think in my head how Chad would screw that up and be like, oh, look, I got all these points. Yo. And then they're like, oh, Chad, you got zero. Oh. I could definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to. I, I could I'd do like that. issue a retraction too. It is Susumu. Sorry. All right. Don't well, let it happen again. Okay. <laughs> All right, Richie, finish okay, it off for yours here. Okay, and then the last one I'm going to take is Bali, which is uh, it's an older card game that just got reprinted in 2017 uh, by White Goblin Games and actually got two big box expansions, which is kind of odd because, I, I mean, I'm the only person that I think even owns this game. But it's, it's getting an expansion. It just had a new expansion at Essen this year. Anyways. In this game, you are in the the reprint, or this is a reprint. The older version is uh, Rapa Nui, and I believe this is the designer of Carcassonne. So start looking that up, Chad. And or unless you know it off the top of your head, Klaus Tuber. There we go. And <laughs> Dan with the Dan same for the same. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, Jurgen Rode. Yes. There we go. Wow. Teamwork. Wow. Look at that, guys. 
So in this game, you are trying, it's a hard one to explain because it is a funky card game, but basically what happens in this game is that you're going to have three cards in your hand each turn and you're, you're going to only play down one card, one or two cards. And then you will pick up a card from these rows or towers of cards that you have out in the tableau. And then the card that you pick up, the card that you expose is the action that will trigger uh, for scoring that turn. And there's a bunch of different type of scoring cards that you're going to score points throughout the game. But what you're trying to do in the middle is this sacrifice pile where you'll end up putting, uh, they have these different uh, resources on cards. You'll end up putting those into that stack. So you, but you're putting them down for the most part face down. So you can't tell how many of a particular resources in that stack. And then at the end of the game, you'll go through that stack and whatever one is most represented will score the highest amount of points. And then second most will score the second most and so on and so forth. But so you're trying to kind of watch what people are collecting, see, try to see what they're putting into that stack or try to guess what they're putting in that stack and then start to try to hoard those resources so that when you get to the end of the game, you have the one that's going to score the most points for you. And that's Bali. It's, it's, it's getting a little wacky with the expansions that they're putting out, but the original game is good. And actually the second expansion I can speak for is really good as well. I don't know about this new one that they just released. Do you... I, I'm intrigued because, I mean, just hearing you talk about it, you're obviously very knowledgeable about this game. How how do you even find these games? Are you just randomly buying stuff and then hope it, you know, throwing it up against the wall and hope it sticks? You, well, like, you missed the first part about the melatonin. I, I, I have a problem. <laughs> well, here's the thing. With card games, because they're usually cheap, Right. I just buy card games. Okay. I, I mean, this list is full of trick-taking games that I have just bought. Sight unseen. Sometimes it's, I, I'll go off the cover. Sometimes I'll just go off the like. If it's an Amigo game, I'll buy it. It's like ten bucks. Hmm. So and when we hear about a good game, we're just not hearing about the nine other, you know, not so good games. Well, they release a lot of random card games, and a lot of them don't make it over to the U.S. Huh. So if you hop on Amazon.de and just start searching through, like Amigos card games, uh, the one that does uh, Schmidtspiele, they do a lot of either random card games or rolling right stuff like that. So I. I that's my job here at the podcast is to get the weird. Yep. And we haven't played games. them. Sometimes I'll ask him on a on a Facebook Messenger message, like, "Hey, how was that card game?" And sometimes he'll just send me a a gif of you know that went in Jurassic Park when she's reaching into that dinosaur poop. You know, <laughs> he just sends <laughs> yeah, me a yeah. gif of that. Basically. That's usually what. <laughs> yeah, they're not all good. They're not all good. <laughs> all right. So I think it's back to my back to you. final your pick last here. Pick Make it good. Um, I don't know why I keep talking about things before I do my pick, but I wanted to mention one thing that we did not say. We did exclude from our list any games within the past year. Right, because they wouldn't have the chance to make it up, up that there. far, maybe. Because so, uh, for those of you who don't know, City of the Big Shoulders is all would be on this list. But did that come out will, last year? That came out? Yeah, oh. it came out. Yeah, I guess I'm not familiar with that game. Yeah, shut up. You know exactly what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, so otherwise, City of the Big Shoulders would just be a slam dunk here. But no, that's not on this list. And I have a feeling that will continue to uh, climb. <laughs> what are you goes. actually picking? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Filibuster, filibuster, filibuster. Bali, by the way, got knocked off your list. So cross that off. Yep. Oh, gosh. Uh, shoot. I'm going to have to. No. I'm going to go with Guillotine. Uh, oh, wow. card game. I am really I am surprised you picked you this one. Really? Well, I, this... I'm so surprised that I want to play this now after we finish recording. Oh, mm. it's a fun little game. Mm. No, this game's not a bad <laughs> little game. It really isn't. 
Um, I my family really enjoys this. I've played this is one of those that I played back before I was in heavy into gaming. It's very simple. You've got a, a row of twelve heads or people that are basically on the chopping block to get their head cut off, and you are trying to save them to put them into your pile. Now, obviously, some like Marie Antoinette, she'll give you like five points if you're able to save her, but if you save, you know, like the random, you know, town drunk or something, he might be worth a negative two points to you. Or, uh, you know, like some, you know, official from, you know, the uh, French Revolution or whatever. So, and you've got cards that you'll do different things to try to move them to different areas. But whoever's at the head of the line is who you always have to take into your play area. It's just an interesting little game. It plays three rounds and you just add up your score and try to make the best score. It's fun. It's easy. My kids love it. I saw Mason the other day teaching it to his friends. Uh, you know, so I, I, it's a good card. I mean, it may not be in any Bali, but, you know, it's a good <laughs> card game that I, I think people should check out. It's it's fun. And that's the designer of Smash Up, too. I think Paul Anderson, he's done a few card games. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. It, it kind of... It's in that same realm. Sometimes it goes on a little too long. Yeah, for what it is. For what it is, yeah. yeah. But you, you know what's interesting about this game? Uh, I I remember he he said, and he would take it out. He regrets it. I think there's one card. I can't remember if it's a soldier or whatever. You know, the, the big dictum in ga any game is make sure... You, okay, so it's like an order or a rule. That's what dictum means, okay? Okay, we anyway. were all... We, we all were... It's like... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the big rule in any in, in creating a game is let your players do what's fun, right? Let them do what's fun. So the soldier, I think, it's all about rearranging that line. You know, that that's yep. what... And, and there's one card, and I believe it's yeah. a soldier it that freeze the order. Yeah, freeze yeah. it. Don't don't let it move. And and he says, you know, I kind of regret putting that in the game because it that's you take out the one fun thing when you play that card. So it's interesting. But I, I thought when I first got into the hobby, I'd played that a few times, and uh, then I had read that. I was like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. That's interesting. It's not a bad game. I'm just surprised that grumpy old yes. Clef is picking exactly. guillotine. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Well, you know, Dan's here livening me up a little bit. There so. you go. Maybe uh, it's because yeah. it's about no, chopping I'm shocked, heads. too, so I don't, I, just, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> oh, all right, Chad, what's your last pick? All right, nobody at this table is going to care that I sniped this pick uh, because they would never have picked it in a million years, but it is in my top 10. So it's going on the list. It's tramways from album Viard. It had to get in there. It's 1100. And I think that's a travesty. Nobody else feels that way. I know at this table, that's fine. I love the game. I, I quite honestly looked at like this list and thought there was like 30 games that you could have picked. I mean, there was forum trade on them. There was uh, uh Pete Motts, there was Castiel. Yeah, those were all on all kinds but, of games to pick from. But Tramways was, you know, it's in my top 10 and there, with good reason. So Albin Viard used to do a lot of maps for Age of Steam and he still has some, which is another one of my my favorite games. And it's fast becoming clefs, I think. He he had mentioned that last, last podcast. It is a fastly climbing my list so he loves that and this is sort of a riff on on age of steam with the railways and connecting and that's what he meant it to be and then it adds deck building in so 
The downside for Richie, I think, is that you get stress in this game. It's a very punishing game, and whatever you want to do adds a lot of stress. And so I think that's that's one thing that, that makes a difference. But basically, you are building tramways to escort passengers around to different buildings. They're either going to work or to home or different things like that. And you're using cards from your hand, and they are multi-use cards. And so they have a lot of actions on them. And if you want to use them for two actions on a card or more, you're going to take more stress. And that moves you back into negative points territory. And the more stress you take, the more punishing it is. But again, you get to buy cards. You get to add them to your hand. You get to try to combo together certain actions. But it is it is a tight game. And that's, that's why I enjoy it. The auction, too, is very punishing as well because you can, you can end up really escalating that auction quickly because when you bid then you have to add to what you bid by a large amount usually each round as it goes around so tramways is my pick i i will actually say you know i'm sorry richie i will say this this game is in my wish list and for what reason i have no idea (laughs) it's in there i think because the game has been around a long time and i've just i've heard it mentioned so many times that i've been so intrigued about it um, but I have never played it. I really don't know anything besides what you just explained. But I, I mean, I really want to at least try this game. You know, you know, Richie, be damned. I need to. I think I need to play it. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, that's a good yeah, phrase. Yeah. I, that was your first time teaching the game. Yeah. So I think if I now that you're more comfortable with it, I will play it again with a new teach. But don't you ever mention Age of Steam and Tramways in the same sentence Ooh, again. Yeah. Wow. I'm telling you, that's what the designer was going for. I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Back. Okay. Don't do it. All right. Well, here's the thing. I already promised Corey I would teach him at ATB Con. Okay. So if you want in on that game, Dan, you're welcome. I'm in. Sign me up. All right. Dan, finish us off. Okay. So looking over the list, I know we excluded 2019. But I feel like 2018 is kind of a cop-out, too, because they're still kind of climbing at 2018. And so I wanted to go I wanted to go back. I wanted to go way back. I'm um, going all the way back to 1997. Ooh. So I don't know if anybody's keeping track, but I did 1983 with Scotland Yard. So now I'm going 97. So I think I should get bonus points just for the, you know, the age of my games. Does that count for anything? Well, if we were high tech, we would give you a ding. Okay, but we don't get those. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a ding. Yeah, I'll throw a I'll ding, take a ding. All right. Yeah, we'll all right. Give you a ding. Just, just one ding. I'm not asking for more than well, one. Here's the thing, Dan, is we don't decide this. Our Punch Bunch listeners will decide. Okay. So maybe they'll throw you some votes because your games are older and obscure. But Okay. Well, I don't know. Y- you heard it here first then. Okay. So. Without further ado, then, let me round out this draft. Uh, I'm going to go abstract on y'all, if that's all right. I'm going abstract. Again, I want to bring to light a game that I don't think gets as much love as it should. So the game that I'm going to talk about is actually a series of games that was put out by a publisher that really wanted to make simple games, component-wise, but heavy on complexity, and they they increase the craftsmanship so that it's all wooden pieces so really really fine craftsmanship clef you're giving me a weird look i actually forced you to play was, this was, game with i me. was wondering if this is one of the ones you forced me to play okay. the name of the game is corridor okay okay yeah, yeah yeah so they have a whole line of games but i think that this is the game that is the pinnacle of those games 
Have you ever heard of this game, Chad? Yeah, it starts with a Q, right? It's yeah, corridor with a yeah, Q. Yeah, it's doing like a weird kind of play upon words when it talks about that. But what you have in front of you is, um, well, first of all, it's a two-player game primarily. There's rules for four, but it's best at two. Uh, you have a player board in front of you, and a shared board in front of you and the other player. And again, it's all nice wooden bits. And it's, I believe it's like, I want to say a 12 by 12 grid of elevated squares. Okay, so you have, almost have like ravines in between each of the squares. And then you have your little pawn on your side. And then you have the opponents on his side. And then you have these little wooden planks. They're maybe like an inch and a half long. And you have 10, and your opponent has 10. And on your turn, it's very simple. You can do one of two things. You can either move your pawn orthogonally one space, or you can take one of those 10 wooden planks and place it anywhere you want in between those elevated spaces in those ravines, which effectively will alter the direction of where your opponent can go. The only rule is you can never 100% fully block off where your opponent can go. So if you can visualize this, you are just trying to get from one end straight to the other end, like to their end zone. And they're obviously trying to do the same thing. So as your first game goes, and I think if Clef and we play as we played a couple times, the first thing you're doing is you just start moving your pawn. And you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to move it. And then immediately your opponent blocks you with one. And so you're like, okay, well, I'll just go to the left one space and then continue going forward. And then they'll continue placing it, blocking it, and then blocking it until eventually they run out of pieces and they can no longer block you. So now it's just a one-way path. But the path that they just blocked for you is also blocking themselves. It's a shared board. So you have this whole spatial element where you're saying, okay, I'm creating a barrier for my opponent, but I'm also creating a barrier for myself. And as you play more and more games, you start to realize, okay, maybe instead of blocking my opponent, I should actually create a path for myself that only I can go in, like make a straight hallway that only I can go in. As you play this game, and as I play this, I've played this with my eight-year-old, I've played this with my grandmother, I've played this with everybody in between. The more you play it, it really utilizes a part of the brain that I think is starting to go away. We Every time we play a game and we teach somebody, the first thing, even if we don't even care about the theme, the first thing we always say is, well, here's what you're doing in this game. You're, you're, you're an artisan, you're a merchant, you're a trader, you're doing all this stuff, and we... This game, it just throws all of that out, and it just says, here's what you have to do. Be smarter than your opponent. And I think it brings a simplicity to the types of games that we play that I miss, and I enjoy doing it. And the fact that I can play it with all these very types of people is just something that I love. I covet this game. As I talked about, there's a whole line of these wooden games that are so fantastic. They're visually appealing. I have it actually set up in my game room ready to play and so people see it and they're like wow what is that and i can pull it down and start playing it it's a fantastic game it's got a pun kind of type of spelling and some of the other ones do as well but corridor is a fantastic game if you have an opportunity track me down i would love to teach it or get it for yourself i think this is a game that's going to stand the test of time and that's q u o i is that right so it's q u o R, so core, and then I-D-O-R, so core-i-door. Um, and they have another game that's called Quarto, uh, so it's Q-U-A-R-T-O. 
And that one has like a tic-tac-toe style, but there are some extra strategies to it. It's fantastic as well. Uh, I think they have like three or four. Some of them, they actually use balancing mechanisms. But Corridor to me is just simplicity in its perfection. I absolutely love it. It is abstract. So obviously, you're not going to get a huge amount of enjoyment out of the game thematically. But if you like those type of games where you're playing checkers, you're playing chess, and you want something that's just a little deeper, a little richer, I think this is the way to go. All right. Well, there you have it, Punch Bunch. If you're tired of hearing some of the same games from us, hopefully you heard some new ones, especially from Dan. He had some really good picks, some interesting ones. But you can vote yourself if you go to our guild, 3227, on Board Game Geek, and you will be able to vote on this list that Clef is going to read to you uh, of our top games from a thousand and better on board game geek yeah okay so just to recap dan took porta nigra or the black the black nigra i believe as it translates to uh ground floor scotland yard and corridor that's correct there's no question mark at the end of that by the way in case you're looking it up Uh, it was an exclamation point all right chad took haspel connect crosstalk Borano and Tramways. Richie took Felix the Cat in the Bag. In with, the sack. In the sack. Felix the Cat in the sack. sack. He's in a sack. Okay. Uh, was the designer on that Dr. Seuss by the chance? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I mean, Freedom and Free. So. Um, R. Oko, not to be refu- uh, confused with Rococo, that's R. Oko, R. O. K. O. And Bali. And then I took Wildcatters. First Train to Nuremberg, Scepter of Zavador, and Guillotine. So if you haven't gone on to our guild yet, please join. And what I'd like to say is we have great we have great community. We have great listeners. We're so thankful for each and every one of them. And we always get great comments and, and reviews and stuff. So thank you for doing that. But what I want to draw attention to is one of our listeners, Ian, his, uh, his username is Mighty Oak. He created a Punchboard Paradise micro badge for us which was really nice really nice i mean it popped up one day he didn't even say anything to us it was very nice of him and uh that's just exemplary of of the community so we thank ian and also if you want to i have i don't have a ton but i have some extra geek gold if you don't have enough and you want to please email us email me send me a uh actually send me a geek mail i'm go hawks G O H A W K S or Chad Jacobson on Board Game Geek. Boo to the Go Hawks. <laughs> a big, a big aviary, aviary fan. Of yes, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So, so anyway, you can you can shoot me a geek mail and as many of those as I can fulfill by giving you geek geek gold. If you're the first ones to to do that, I will give you the geek gold and you can get the badge. So, anyway, I. I you know, I love having Ian do that for us. So I'd love to have more of these on your on your username page. That being said, we can't have Dan here without talking about ATB Con. It is a must. So Dan, let's talk about it. Okay. So well, first of all, thank you. Um, I know that a lot of your listeners um, may have heard about this. I think you guys actually mentioned it previously. Um, but my friend Ryan and I, we had a podcast and we still do, uh, allegedly. Um, but one of the big things that has come about from our podcast is we hosted our own convention. 
We actually did this uh, back in 2018 in November, and I guess about a year ago, and uh, it was a smashing success, and we have decided to do it again. Uh, but we're not doing it in 2019. We're doing it actually in January of 2020. So in a few months from now, uh, we are doing this. And we're having another convention, our second one. It's going to be in Nebraska City, and it is going to be a bunch of games. Um, one of the things that we learned from the last one is that uh, games are important, but amenities are equally as important. And so we've really made an effort to really up the amenities uh, everybody is getting uh, their own room with one other person in the room, no dormitory style sleeping, uh, but all inclusive meals. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful place. The lodge is fantastic fireplaces and couches. Uh, there's a full bar, a full restaurant, a pool, a hot tub, um, everything you could want there. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be 24 hours of board games. And so it's all weekend. Um, we have all the details on our guild page. If you go over to Across the Boards guild page, uh, we also have uh, one of our most recent podcasts you can download. Uh, there's information on there, but uh, if you are interested, it is going to be next year, January 17th, 18th, and 19th. That's a Friday through Sunday. Uh, again, it's in Nebraska City, Nebraska. And uh, we would love to have you. It's going to be an absolute amazing time. I know that the punch boarders are going to be there. Yeah, I even told my work Christmas party no. I wow. cannot. I cannot. Nice. Well, so, you made the right choice. I know. So we're really, really excited about it. Um, obviously, if uh, you can make it, we would love to have you there. Um, but if not, we understand. You know, expenses are expenses, and it's right after the holiday season, so we don't want anyone to put their uh, family or lives in a crunch. But uh, we think that this is going to be something special, and uh, if you can make it work, uh, we would love to have you there. So uh, yeah, ATB Con year two uh we're hope we're hopeful it's going to be amazing in the birthplace of arbor day nonetheless At, we picked that specifically for that reason i know it's special <laughs> it's special <laughs> well now it's time for punchboard previous plays and we've got a good one this week we're trying to catch up. I'm excited. Up. I'm excited. All right. All right. Well, this is kind of one of our more infamous episodes. So, Ooh, what is it? More than a year ago, we reviewed Root by Leader Games. Wait, Clef, Ooh. no, Clef, come back. Clef, come, Clef, come back, come back, come back, come back. What? Oh, oh, I. Uh, this okay. is the real reason I was brought here. I feel my purpose. Okay. Yes, yes I, I needed you here, Dan. Okay, I'm here All for right. you. Well, then you start. I mean, because you didn't do our previous play reading, but what do you think about Root, Dan? Hmm. Well, Root is uh, it's an enigma. Let, let me just start off with saying that. Uh, I think that the hype was not as deserving as it was actually given. Um, I will say that the game was overhyped, or at least maybe misrepresented. Um, but I, that's probably going to be my only negative that I'm going to say about this game. Of all the coin games that I have played, this is the absolute best. Now, of all the coin games, this is the only one that I've played. But that aside, <laughs> I would just like to say that I, I I think that this game gets a bad rap. Every time I hear someone talk negatively about this game, they talk about how difficult it is to teach. Now, I don't think that that should go into consideration of how you rate a game. I certainly think that there are difficulties when you teach any game, but I don't think that your 
inability to teach a game should go into how you generally feel about a game. Now, your opinion of that could certainly weigh into that, but I think if you are truly try, if you are actually trying to value a game, that you really can't say, well, it was really hard to teach, and I don't like teaching it because it's such a difficult game for people to get on their first play that I downgrade the game. That being said, I'm going to set all that aside. I love the way the game plays. I love the asymmetric powers. I love the building tension of the game. I love the way that nobody generally, except one faction, ever loses victory points. It's all a progression towards getting to that final score. I like that everybody does a few things similarly, but the things that they don't do similarly are completely vastly different. It blows me away that every time I teach this game, and to be honest, when I teach it, I don't have issues teaching it. I don't know if I'm you know, tooting my own horn here, but I actually enjoy teaching this game because I have perfected it so well. Everybody that I've taught this game to, except when I played it with Clef, has absolutely enjoyed the game. I feel that the asymmetric powers in this game are perfectly balanced. I think that you need multiple plays to kind of wrap your head around, okay, the first layer is understanding how the game plays. The second layer is how do the other players play? And then the third thing is how do I play effectively while stopping them? Yes, there is luck. Yes, there is dice. Yes, there is random card draws. But I think that all of that is completely overshadowed by the heavy, heavy layers of strategy, the complexity of the interaction between the factions, and just basically how humans are playing. All that to put together, to me, this is a perfect game if you like this style of game where there is war simulation, asymmetric powers with a slight bit of luck. If that's the type of game you like, to me, throw in that theme. This is a perfect game. So on the Punchboard Paradise rating scale, which we give one to six, where one means being miserable and six is like it's probably a top. It has the potential to be a top ten game for you of all time. Where are you mm. putting this? Can I do half points? No, no. Um, can I do two different no, ratings? No, no split. I, no, no split rating. Um, gosh, my heart wants to give it something, but my brain is telling me that I have to go with. A six. <laughs> I was just kidding. They're both saying the same thing. Listen, this game is good. All right. I don't know what I'm saying. I just, I really, really like this game. Again, ask me in five years. Maybe it'll dip down a little bit. I know there's a new expansion coming that's bringing a couple more factions, more of the same. If you don't like the game, you're not going to like it. If you do like it, it's fantastic. Seek me out at ATBCon. I will absolutely give you a teach. If you don't want to play it, well, then you're not invited next year. <laughs> All right, Clef. So, so let, Dan, let me have it. Let me have well, it, Clef. I, what did, Clef no, first, Clef, what did you so, give this game last year? I think we probably all remember <laughs> what I gave this game. I was the first, and for a while, the, the only, only. Yeah, for a while. I gave it a one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. However. Now, well, no, start first. However. You know, <laughs> Dan, you know, Dan, me and you, for the most part, we are very, very similar in games. I would agree. I would like. agree. I mean, there is very, very few times where we disagree. Opposite ends of the spectrum, yes. at least. Yeah. But boy, are we the opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> on this game. Yeah. Uh, this, I'll just start off. There's no doubt. This thing is absolutely still a one for me. I have played it 
an additional time yep. since. <laughs> Which is amazing this. because, yes. honestly, some of the other ones you've rated highly, you haven't played at all. Well, right. <laughs> probably true. Uh, yeah, I kind of got guilted into playing yep, I this. was there that night, uh, yes. Yes, you were. And I I hate this game even more. I this How was is, his attitude going into the game? Did he have a good attitude? And, and this is the uh, issue, I think, that I think that if he wanted to do well in this game, he could. Yes, because he, he purposely the luck does not over overweigh the strategy of the game. Clef, don't give me those puppy dog eyes, all right? Um I played the the birds and I drew terribly. I every single time I had to go into revolt like four times in the game. And then every time I went to attack or somebody attacked me. I rolled zeros and they rolled whatever. It was right. it was the worst. It, let, let's, just, let's go through it like this, okay? Because we could go on for hours and hours. I just want to know: is it? Do you think that the luck factor in the game is what makes it unenjoyable for you? No, has has. I mean, I don't like the luck part in the game. Right? But no, it, it just for me, there just is nothing that I enjoy about this. Game. Okay, I don't enjoy attacking people. It's just not something. I mean, I'm not. Mr. Care Bearish, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy player interaction, but not just randomly attacking people and rolling dice. I mean, if I want to do that, I'll go play Risk. It just doesn't do anything for me. I just feel totally bored while I'm playing it. I'm literally, I'm miserable. I will still have fun. And that game we played that night was a blast. We in did. the fact it of was. we were all having a good old time. We were joking. Eat pizza, there was, yeah. You yeah. know, it was a great... I still enjoyed the camaraderie, the reason I play board games. But the game itself is just not a game that I enjoy. I don't like the mechanics. I don't like the or the mechanisms. I don't like anything about it. It just makes me down and outright miserable for a game playing situation. Not the, the, the environment, but the game situation. And if one day long in the future... If I don't, uh, you know, if I have to go to a bad place when I die, I'm pretty sure they're just going to stick me playing Root with three terrible people that I do not enjoy playing with or something and just have to play it over and over again because that sounds like hell to me. All right? Wow. Okay. Am I able to say that on a <laughs> Sure. So, yep. so are you bumping it up to a two then? Is that what it sounds like? Uh, <laughs> can I go negative numbers? No, Is no, that negative. possible? You no, you cannot. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, well it stays right. a one for Clef. Right. Richie. What what did you give it last time? I believe I gave it a five last time. Yeah, that sounds right. Because <clears throat> the game can be fragile. If you have someone there like Clef, they can tank. And if they tank, they I mean, someone can run away with it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, for me, I love it. I have a group that I play this with. And it, it's a game that, once again, I, I would agree with Danny. I don't think it's that hard to teach. The base mechanisms that everyone uses are really simple. Those You get out of the way in about five minutes, and then you just got to teach the faction. And in my opinion, it's not that hard to teach. I've seen, because we're going to get to the comments here, a lot of people say certain factions are overpowered. The only faction that has a, a good hold at the beginning of the game are the cats. Yeah. Outside of that, I've seen every faction win. Yep. I've won with every faction. I've seen every faction get blown out in a game. So it, it's... Across the board, it can go either way with the factions. I haven't gotten the Kickstarter in yet, so I want to play with those. That could possibly take it to a six for me. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta have your group that you play with though, because it I can definitely see people get put off easily if they get hosed, which can happen. But I don't know. I I, I just think you need players like Dan. Um, Jake is another player that we play with that yeah. they 
quickly learn games and just play. They don't, they're not overly worried about the balance and stuff like that. Just go out and play the game. Five for me still. What about you, Chad? I gave it a three, and I'm going to stay there. If somebody brought it out, I would definitely play it. I don't feel that I need to own it, which is where it starts getting into four territory or you know five territory. I I what the one thing it does for me, and the reason I would play it is because I like how asymmetric the factions are, and that's fun for me to to mess around with. That's why I play so many new games because I like looking at a system and seeing how it works. I'm not overly concerned about whether I win. I haven't won, I don't think, in this game. But I do feel like... All right, you don't need to shake your head there. Uh, I, I do feel like that you do have to babysit. That's my that's my issue with it. Because I taught it most of the times we played it. I had the game originally and sold it. But I basically felt like I had to babysit when I taught the game. It wasn't that I... It wasn't that I... The teaching, it was more like, hey, you guys, look at the look at the trash panda he's going to run away with this because nobody is bothering him we got to do this and so if players are new they will you know they will let that happen because they're trying to figure out so many different things so i think it does benefit from a steady group to play this game with that's my feeling on it yeah yeah i can't argue that but i mean that would also be for me arkwright like arkwright difficult to teach and it's something that if you don't watch someone on their first game, they're probably going to get screwed. Yeah. And they're There's probably going to lose yeah. quickly and no. they're going to play a six-hour game. Yeah. And, so. and my one has nothing to do with the teach. I mean, I quite honestly, I mean, I've never taught it, but I mean, that, that has nothing to do with it for me. It's, it's straight up the game. Do you, do you – I'm curious, Dan, because you love to teach. Is that an extra bonus for you, though, because you feel like you are such a good teacher in this game? I mean, does that bump it up a little bit or is it straight a six because of the game? Uh, you know, just kind of listening to Chad talk, I do like the absolute ridiculousness of the asymmetry. Uh, I like that, you know, granted, you're all trying to score points, and I think that's what kind of grounds it. You're all trying to score points, uh, but I do like that it's so different, uh, not necessarily in why you're doing it. You're all trying to get points, but how you do it. Um, but it's not so different that it makes it confusing. You're just doing it slightly different uh, in a completely different way from everyone else. Uh, so I, I think that's what makes me enjoy it so much. The building tension, I will say, is a very high factor. I love the way the game builds. Um, but I, I, it's just an intangible. It's almost something I can't even really explain. It's just something that I, I just... It, it, it draws me to the game because I'm interested in to see what new experience I can get from playing with different factions and different factions competing with each other. Right. Well, I, and, you know, I'm going to read a comment here from uh, one of our punch bunch that wrote in on the game. All right. So this comes from John Newman, and he's actually uh, starts responding to one of the uh, Bryce who's on here. He said, I would rate it a little bit higher than Bryce. He said, I enjoy it, but it's not a game I need to own. I think the game is primarily a negotiation game. My first game, The Wandering, was going to win, but then all the factions bashed the leader. He ended up in second or third. My second game, The Birds were cleaning house, and again, two factions ganged up on him, and the Woodland people won it. It's really not about faction balance. It's about alliances at critical times. The reason I don't plan on owning the game is with four factions, it's a bear to teach. Players have no idea what they are doing until the game is over, and I'm not a fan of the Vagabond. 
He is so different from the other factions, which makes it really easy for him to win games among new players. He quietly minds his own business while the other players battle it out. So I do agree with you that left on his own devices, the Vagabond is powerful. This is obviously in response to Bryce also. But he can be stopped. So, I mean, at least from what I take there, I mean, he's saying that he feels like there's a, oh, this person's the leader. We're going to gang up on him. I mean, do you guys feel like this game has that problem? That's every game. Well, and I think that that, but that's mainly the way you talked about what you like about games. This typifies that, right? When we talked at the beginning, you said that above the table talk and, yeah. you know, and, and this really plays into it more than some others. I mean, Clef, when you're playing City of the Big Shoulders and you see someone is doing really well, what are you going to do? Well, you might tank their stock. I mean, it's, it's. It's obviously a completely different game, but the idea of doing something that is necessarily outside of the game and therefore saying, hey, guys, we should tank their stock, that's not in the rules. It's a mechanism that you do, but you don't say, hey, guys, let's collectively you know, king bash this person and bring them down, but it's something that comes up. It's like emerging gameplay where you're like, we have to do this this turn or he's going to win. Uh- I I understand what you're saying, but I disagree with wh- the way you're... I don't feel that that's the same thing. Um, for one thing, sometimes in, in you know a typical Euro game, whether you're playing City of the Big Shoulders or Brass or something like that, you don't always necessarily even have an idea of, oh, for sure this person is winning. You might have an idea, but I, I don't think that's the same. In Brass, I don't all of a sudden say... Oh, I'm going to focus on trying to get, you know, beat Richie out of a certain thing. I'm still just trying to play my game for the most part. Yeah. Where in Root, I feel like, and I've only played the game four times, so I'm not an expert on it, but I do feel like there is certainly a point where it's like, okay, the games I have played, okay, this person's winning. Okay, what are we going to do to try to stop them from winning? Yeah. I know. I mean, like Crystal Palace, which we just reviewed, I mean, it, like you had that game where. Your son was up, and everyone just started hitting him, taking him down. Yeah. Well, he wasn't winning, though. So, but uh. <laughs> Well, here, let me, let, me, let me pose a counterpoint, okay? Okay. Uh, Graham Hall posted, and he's uh, Grimbo on BGG. Uh, it was short and sweet, he wrote right here. He said, it's a five for me. Every game is fun and different. We haven't had any real problems teaching to gamers or non-gamers. And I kind of, you know, talked about that in my review that the teach really isn't the issue. I think you need people who want to play the game. Sure. Play the game with you. Sure. You can't say, hey, let me teach this game and have someone, you know, just, you know, slap around a few movement and pieces and try and say, well, I didn't really know what I was doing. You need people that are going to invest in this game. You know, uh, it's, it is a fragile game. You know, like Richie said, it's a game where you need people that are going to want to have the game be successful in that a perfectly game is played. So whether that's a detriment to the game or the players, that's what is to be decided. But I, I think that you can't rate a game based on emerging gameplay where there's king making or causing people to attack a certain person because they're doing well. That's yeah. just a that's just sure. an opponent of exponent of what the game 
you know, sure, but you if the, you don't, I mean, if you don't like that, that certainly is going to make you say Root would maybe not be the game for you. Exactly, that is, and that's if, and I can agree so, with that statement. Sure. All right. All right. I'll read the last comment. So this is from Anders, and he said that he would probably rate it a three on our scale. It's a fun idea, but ultimately it feels very mechanical. I'm a huge fan of the coin games, and Root seems like a very light imitation of those. The best thing about the good coin games is how they drive theme and narrative even after repeat plays. And I personally felt that once the novelty of how the factions play wore off, there wasn't much there. Uh, so he also suggested that we try out Falling Sky uh, for a richer narrative-driven game. That's, that's funny he mentioned Clef. it. Well, and it's funny he mentions that, though, <laughs> yeah, because I actually completely disagree with him. I think the theme and the narrative is actually what helps drive the mechanisms of the game. When I explain the game, when I'm teaching to people, I explain to them, you are this faction, and this is why you're doing this action. I actually think this game you know, benefits from having that theme on there and, you know, the actions that make sense because of that. But I mean, again, if you're not enjoying the game, it's hard to find theme in that and enjoyment. Well, I would argue that it makes it more palatable. You know, oh, that, yeah. th th that that's really what it, what it does. And, and I think what he's saying is he's talking about Falling Sky. Some of those games, those coin games are all historical. So right. there's a story all the way through yep. you know the story before you even play the right. game, right yeah and, and that's i think what he's getting to and having not played a coin game myself but wanting to you know like the the, the one that i really want to play is uh is gandhi i really want to play that coin mm. game because it's really interesting to me but it has to be i've heard at the max player count but the whole idea of like a pacifist group winning a war game yeah. is really interesting to me so anyway like I said, it's the best coin game I have ever played. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Hey, it's the best coin game I've ever played. <laughs> That's right. Um, I know I'm not supposed to read any more here, but I don't care. I'm popping this one in here. Good old Saskatoon <laughs> Dave. I'm just going to read the last part here. He said, hey, what makes a great game? It's the mechanics. He said, let's get back to the basics. I'll take Carpe Diem over Root every single time, and I rate this sucker a one. Boy, Saskatoon Dave is a smart guy. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, Carpe Diem is at least better than Forum. We all, well, we we agree all on that. do agree with that. <laughs> oh, wait, Dan. I don't know if Dan agrees that Carpe is better than Forum or not. Is Forum Trigonomy, is that even a real game? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> punch, punch. Thanks so much for chiming in. That is Root from our previous plays. It still gets a one from Clef, a three from me, a five from Richie, and a six Woo! from An Dan. Emphatic six right there. Woo. Well, guys, I, I guess all good things must come to an end. We're we're sad. But, and this podcast, too. So, well, that probably true. <laughs> hey, Dan, we thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys, it has been a blast. Uh, this was an absolute amazing experience, and uh, I'd love to do it again. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right, everybody, have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Adios. <laughs> Bye podcast is over punchboard paradise would like to thank our loyal listeners as well as the publishers and designers that have provided review copies you can find us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at punchboarders we are on instagram at punchboard paradise and facebook at punchboard paradise 